So Hurley's like, no, I'll be okay. Um, hi, Walt. And Walt goes, hey, you still owe me $20,000 from playing backgammon and I'm here to collect. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my money, Hurley? Hurley's like, I gave that all away to my parents. Oh, no. Hello and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 28-year-old actor and artist. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I remember way too many details that no one else cares about. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And our fun fact for this episode is going to be, what's your favorite flower? I don't know if we've done that one before, but since we have talk of anthuriums this episode, I thought we would talk about our favorite flower. My favorite color is called heliotrope. It's a like purple color and it's called heliotrope because there's a flower called heliotrope and that's why it's named that. So I sort of like that one, but my grandma has lilacs in her backyard Aww. in the during the summer. And so every time I smell lilac, I think about like summer summers in my childhood in my grandma's backyard in the hammock back there. Ugh. So I feel like I feel like lilacs might be my favorite flower, even though I never think of them like that. That is so sweet. Yeah. I love that. Okay. My name is <laughs> My name is Casey Wall. I'm a 27-year-old writer from Rhode Island. Robin forced me to change my age, even though we're recording this in November of 2023. (laughs) I'm still 26, okay? Okay. I like sapphic ships and collecting plants. You can follow me on Twitter, Serialized, and Letterboxd at CaseyWatchesTV. And my favorite flower would have to be my mom's favorite flower, which is a daisy. She loves daisies, and anytime I see daisies, uh, they make me think of my mama. But honorary mention for dahlias. I like just mm-hmm. discovered them this year. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard of them before. They're so... I've definitely heard of them, but I don't even know what they look like, I don't think. They're so pretty. Oh my god. Mm. They're so pretty. Yeah. My sister's wedding flowers were all dahlias. And they were incredible. Oh, ooh, gorge. Very yeah, cool. my sister had uh, cafe au lait dahlias for her October wedding, which like you're not even supposed to have dahlias that time of year, but since it's so mm-hmm. warm because you know climate mm-hmm. change, uh, we yeah. had them. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, uh, don't, same. Don't think too hard about <laughs> dahlia season extended. <laughs> don't think too hard about the yeah. circumstances, but the flower is gorgeous. Oh, I know our weather is so good right now, and I'm just like nice, and then I'm like <laughs> in the <laughs> back of my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my- yeah. I do ha- wanted to say honorable mention to cherry blossoms, especially Ooh. in Vancouver. They're very beautiful. oh yeah love a cherry blossom yeah and today our guest is claire yay Hi. the woman the myth the legend <laughs> hello everyone uh my name is claire willett i'm a 42 year old writer from portland oregon i like hot parent ships catholic redemption arcs and gays in space and you can find me on yeah. twitter and blue sky at at claire willett and my favorite flower is my number one favorite flower is the ranunculus which is like mm-hmm. a peony that doesn't sort of blossom open quite as wide. It's like it's like a, a half-bloomed peony. They sort of stay a little bit more contained. But they come in like mm. a wide range of, of colors. They're really, really pretty. But I think like personality-wise, like, like I live in Portland. It's like super gray and rainy. And so in the spring when like you first sort of start to get that like shift out of the cold drizzle into sunshine and the daffodils like show up, I become like a high-key daffodil person. It's just like, this, mm. this is our like- Oh yeah, sure. 
are like light in the darkness flower. This is like winter is over, spring is coming, the sun is shining. And I always just want to have like daffodils everywhere the minute they start showing up at the grocery store. But I also will, I do want to put in a vote for dahlias because my sister who got married in September, their wedding colors were peacock colors, but their accent color was copper. And so they had all Mm. of these like sort of you know everywhere from like dark yellow to kind of burnt umber like the whole sort of orange and copper spectrum of dahlias which really popped against all of our like teal and blue and green wedding clothes and it looked really cool oh my god oh yeah no kidding gorgeous and i would say to agree with robin okay when's my sister getting married what the heck lilac is my favorite flower smell so i feel like Mm. i i second both of yours i validate your choices Thank you so much. I feel validated. Um, I know we've had you on a couple of times, but do you want to remind everybody about your relationship to the show and everything? Yes. So, um, yeah, I, I like to think of myself as the, as the aficionados uh, on the ground Catholicism correspondent. Which you are. Because you are. Which you are. Uh, and yeah. uh, and I have also come on a couple of times to talk about time travel. It's sort of my, my two personality traits are Catholicism and time yeah. travel. But I, I, so I binged the whole thing at once, probably... God, what, five, six, seven, some amount of years ago. Yeah, around then. Kind of all at the same time. And and I've talked about this before, but I, I think, personally, I think that's the way to do it because I came into it knowing what I was good, getting into. So, like, mm-hmm. the mysticism, the lore, the, like, controversial finale, I was like, I'm ready. I'm embracing it. I know it. Like, I'm not going to be, like, taken by surprise when it becomes, like, a sort mm-hmm. of speculative fiction supernatural show. Like, I'm here for that. Right. And, uh, and also that, which is something I've talked about on this podcast before that like all of my friends who had already seen it and loved it and were encouraging me to watch it were very very protective of my experience to make sure that I didn't get spoilered so I Mm -hmm. sort of received all of these plot twists in in real time which was awesome but I haven't watched any of it in so long that I like I well so first of all I don't know if Casey heard the story but I watched the wrong episode I did like five hours of homework (laughs) yesterday for the wrong season finale so I was all up on like Mm -hmm. season six and I like read a whole season of the last PD recaps and I watched like the three preceding episodes and then I looked at the notes document and I was like I'm in the wrong place (laughs) none of this is familiar (laughs) who is Kimi (laughs) I haven't seen Charlotte in several episodes these notes make no sense so I had to go back and like restudy it but there was a lot that I realized that I had forgotten and had to like refresh myself but like the deep lore is all still there you know I think the funniest part about it is that like you thought it was season six I knew it was season four and we like talked on yeah like Wednesday we had a whole conversation uh, and Claire goes I can't believe you're already at the season finale and I said I know it's like the season's so short it's like we just started me talking about season four right. her talking about season six trains <laughs> like, passing in the night it was it's this is so or ships passing in the night what's the thing what what i was trying yeah. to con- convey was it's like gosh it feels like only yesterday that you guys were just back in season four i can't believe you're yeah. already at the season six finale and the reason for that was mm-hmm. you weren't you were not i was like hey okay. i'm so flattered that you thought we were going faster than we are but we are trudging along very very slowly i mean i did i i checked your podcast feed on my phone just to make sure that i was caught up and i and for a, a brief moment i was like wait they've only recorded up to like four ten or something that's been released i was like do i really think that they have like 36 episodes in the bank? <laughs> listen like, with robin you never know probably not you never know yeah yeah 
Yeah. Anyway, but I'm thrilled to be here for this episode, which I have finally now yeah. watched. Well, I also was like, because you have this very important episode before the finale in season six, like locked down and you've had it locked down for such a long time that I was like, that's what I was thinking. How does Claire think we just skipped it? I, well, that was what I, I, yeah, I got, I got, yes, I got a little bit confused. I think that's why I thought mm. that's what we were doing was that I sort of, I forgot that I also had like, that I was on deck again before then. I was right. like, well, I right. know that like the run up to the last episode that I'm somewhere in that time slot. And then you said like, oh, and we're having Joe Garfine on for part three. And I was like, oh, of course she's on deck for the finale finale. I'm right before. So anyway, that's <laughs> yeah. deeply yeah. chaotic. My only, this is great. Is that I just moved and I have no brain cells left, but here we all are in the same place. Yeah. So I'm glad, that we, I'm glad that we got there. I feel bad. I had to answer back at like 3 a.m. And, and Claire had sent this like long text message, like five minutes after I had put my phone down to go to sleep. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. I was like, no, Claire. <laughs> no, no. Like I didn't get that. I was on do not disturb. I didn't get it until 3 a.m. And I was like, oh man, if I had watched three more TikToks, I could have helped Claire. In <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. It all worked out. Yeah. What were you going to say, Casey? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> oh, I was going to, uh, no, I was just going to congratulate Claire on her new place. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's very cute. Yeah, I got to see a tour. It's going to be really cool once it's all done. Hugely exciting. Love the balcony. Love the view. I'm get, about to bring up the Christmas ornaments. That I guess this won't make sense when it airs in March, but <laughs> here in the past where it's November. So yeah, so there'll be pictures all over my Instagram of the pink Christmas fabulousness. But yeah, I'm very excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite characters, Claire? So I've always been a Saeed girly. Like he he was he was an early favorite. I sort of locked in at my top slot and and yeah. never left. And uh, I also both both in the course of rewatching this episode and then also the wrong ones that I accidentally. <laughs> rewatch i i really rediscovered a a deep affection for the core women Mm. particularly kate claire who isn't in this one but Mm -hmm. is is so significant kind of in her absence and then yeah right true juliet who i love so much and son who i love so much so just i was thinking a lot about like god this really what an incredibly deep bench of interesting women this show has and then i've always just been really soft for hurley he just mm-hmm. he just gets me right in the heartstrings yeah so fair um all right should we get started yeah let's do it let's do it all right casey today we have words to say about episode 413 of lost there's no place like home part two part two Um, So when I look at it, I have the DVD version. And so I just have one very long episode. But if you guys are watching on streaming, I believe that it is split up into part two and part three. Yes. So if you're watching the streaming, it ends with Ben going, so. And if you're watching (laughs) my version, it ends with Sawyer jumping out of the helicopter. Either way, I do believe that we have the same amount of scenes and we have the same information as far as I understand. So you should be okay. But if you're worried about it, uh, worried about spoiling the last part maybe go watch the last part beforehand i i don't want to i don't i don't want to ruin anything yeah. for you but so the episode's called there's no place like home um as said last episode due to it having the same name as last episode except the part number is different it is a reference to the wizard of oz and a very important quote and it's very obviously they're all going home and so that's what makes it important the broadcast date was may 29th 2008 and it aired along with part three so Part one was its own separate thing, a different week, and then part two and three aired together. It was written by Damon and Carlton, and it was directed by our friend Jack 
bender. Some fun facts that I grabbed off of Lostpedia about this. There are quite a few, so bear with me. Here we go. During the original airing of this episode, a commercial for Octagon Global Recruiting aired. The organization was looking for applicants for the Dharma Initiative. The recruitment drive began in San Diego on July 24th to 27th, 2008, and it was the same date as Comic-Con 08. Oh, wow. How freaking cool would that have been? That's crazy. To see that commercial. This episode was originally planned to air as a one-hour episode, making it just part two of the finale, but the first draft of the script was 85 pages long, which was um oh 30 pages God. too long. So in order to tell the story they wanted to tell, Damon and Carlton asked the network if they could have an extra hour, and due to this change, the finale had to be moved back a week to make room in the schedule. So I'd have to go and look at the dates, but either there were, was like two weeks in between the finales, or like there was two weeks in between cabin fever and the finales not sure but wow there you go vincent is briefly visible in the background when dan first returns the on the zodiac um it's his first appearance since the shape of things to come i've missed him i what's that i've missed him i missed him too here's the thing i looked but i couldn't see him uh no so like i'll check again next time but i didn't see him yeah no but it said that on Lostpedia, so. This episode features Malcolm David Kelly's first speaking role since Through the Looking Glass Part 1, um, which was the last season finale. So um, we got Walt back. Uh, this episode is the only season finale that has an audio commentary available on the DVD. And during this audio commentary, Damon makes a passing reference to Lostpedia. Really? That's pretty cool. They know about it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Before we get into talking about the episode, I told... Uh, Casey and Claire, but I didn't tell you guys, but either way, I'm like half sick. I have like one symptom, which is a scratchy voice and sort of a cough. And so that's why I sound like this, but I'm fine. You sound great. Thanks. Thoughts from listeners. Before we get started, the thought is coming from a listener named Robin. It's me. I think I know <laughs> it's her. It's me talking about the previous episode, if you don't mind. Sometimes I like rewatch part of the episode and I'm like, wait, I should have said this in the podcast. And so I just put it in the next podcast. So for last episode, I made a TikTok about Locke and I used the clip of Locke right before they go up to the orchid last episode. You may recall this scene. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that Locke loads his gun during this scene. And that doesn't really feel like very important, but I thought that it was such an interesting character choice because Locke is so careful. Like you never know what could happen. Like someone like Sawyer, who's always just like whipping his gun out to like shoot anyone at any time. Locke, he loads his gun when he's about to use it. He doesn't have it loaded all the time, which feels important to me. And it also totally tracks because in 401, in that very, very important moment where Jack tries to kill Locke, he shoots the gun and pulls the trigger. It's Locke's own gun that he's using and it doesn't have any bullets in it. And you're just like, oh, Locke's gun just doesn't have any bullets. But then in this moment, I was like, it's because he doesn't keep bullets in his gun unless he's going to use them. Dang. And I just think it's such fantastic character continuity shown in that like one small moment. And I'm sure that Locke has like loaded his gun a bunch of times before now. But like, I, this is just the first time I noticed. And so um, that's just a insight that I wanted to bring up from last episode that I realized. And never mind me because of course I've already forgotten does he use that bullet? Do we see him in this episode shoot somebody with it? I don't think so. Okay. Because I was one, I was yeah. thinking it'd be really funny if it was like, this is a Chekhov's gun situation in literal right. form. Like, we see him load the gun because then later he's going to shoot the gun and that's why we saw him load it. But but I, I think it works right. just, just as, a, as what you said of just a way to illustrate that he takes... It's a decision as opposed to an mm -hmm. impulse like it is with mm -hmm. Sawyer. And so he takes it more seriously. 
Yep. Right. And it's not even like a moment that they like linger on or anything. Mm-hmm. It's literally just something that he's doing in the background. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. Interesting. As for the way that we're going to split up this episode, usually we would do the flash forwards last, um, but there's actually only two flash forwards in part two and the rest of the flash forwards are in part three. And so I thought maybe it would be sort of anticlimactic to finish with that. So I thought maybe we could start with the flash forwards if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. yeah. I was doing my summary and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's making up for Meet Kevin Johnson. That's, That's so true. That was a yeah. long summary. This one is so short. Yeah. So we'll do the flash forwards and then we're going to do the freighter and beach storyline. And then we will end with the big storyline of the orchid and the helicopter. And I think that's a great idea. Uh, So Casey for the flash forwards. And you know what? That's how they start the episode anyway. So I feel like that's perfect. Yeah. Just a warning. It's pretty short. <clears throat> so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Our flashes pick up exactly where the end of last season's finale left off. The moment Jack and Kate meet up at LAX and Jack tries to convince Kate that they have to go back. Kate, furious, gets out of her car and fights with Jack about Jeremy Bentham. Kate says he came to her just like he did Jack, but she knew he was crazy and not to trust him. Jack says trusting him was the only way he could keep Kate and Aaron safe. Kate slaps Jack for even uttering Aaron's name, and she says she's never going back to the island before getting in the car and driving away. Next... And lastly, we see Hurley get a visit from Walt and his grandmother at Santa Rosa. Walt asks Hurley why no one came to visit him after the Oceanic Six got rescued, which is heartbreaking, and the only person who did visit him was Jeremy Bentham. He also asks why they're all lying about what happened. Hurley, whispering, says it's the only way to protect the people on the island. And that's it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all for the flashes. I was like, it would be goofy to end with this, I feel like. Yeah. So we'll get it We'll get it done first. So, yeah, after the season three finale ending, like, <sighs> this show is so cool. Like, th- they're continuing this flash forward a full season later. It's so cool. It's so cool. Mm. And she, like, she leaves... And then you're like, well, that's the end of the scene. And then it turns out, like, the fact that they have the previously on, and then they cut to black, and they bring it back up, and it's her stopping the car and getting back out. Like, oh my gosh, it's so mm-hmm. cool. It's really cool. I love that. It's so cool. I it's so cool. Um, I think, so this, talking a little bit about that flash forward might be thematically, and I don't think this is too spoilery, but one thing that I wanted to dive into a little bit, which I think that that brief Kate and Jack exchange is a good lead into, is I wanted to mm-hmm. dive a little deeper into the title, the sort of the Oz of it all. And I don't right. know if you guys talked about this last time, but do you guys know the Oz books at all? No. No, okay. please. So, um, so here, so this is, this is what I think the interesting double layers of meaning of, of the name. So, so on the mm-hmm. surface, as we broadly understand it, the movie, right? There's no place like home is a positive thing. She's trying to get back mm-hmm. to Kansas. She misses her family. The mm-hmm. whole movie is a quest to get her what she needs in order to get back home. And then the reveal is the like, you know, she had it all in herself like all along. And so so we're sort of meant to think of Oz as a place that she is leaving or escaping from and mm-hmm. sort of sepia-toned Kansas as a place that she's going back to. But in both the movie universe, if you know the, the deeply messed up, uh, <laughs> amazing film Return to Oz, a staple of the childhood of um, 80s children of my generation, and then also the mm-hmm. books, the interesting thing is that Dorothy doesn't... Like, returning to Kansas is not actually the end of the story, and it's not necessarily presented as a positive thing. So even in the movie, it's 
it's like there is a part of you I think as a child where you're watching it going like why does she want to leave Technicolor and go back to black and white and like you know and it's like the depression and she's super poor and Miss Gulch is horrible like it's not mm-hmm. it's it's only because you know she misses her family and there's this sense of like well you have to sort of leave the unreality and like go back to reality but even like in the movie there is a little bit of a sense of like like why wouldn't you just stay in this place which is where that's like you know cooler more interesting so in the movie mm-hmm. return to oz it begins with and it's not it's it's sort of inspired by the books it's not directly from the books but but it begins with her in a juvenile mental institution where she is being treated for insanity because nobody believes her about what happened in Oz and so she's oh my gosh bummer so it's it's very dark and and the villains are also very scary too so she's essentially like breaks out of or is broken out of I can't quite remember out of like an asylum where she's been incarcerated against her will and is is trying to get back to Oz and by the time she gets back there because time moves differently she's been gone for so long that like the yellow brick road is all torn up there's like a new bad guy in charge her friends are scattered and so she has to kind of it's like a little bit kind of post-apocalyptic she has to yeah fight all of these bad guys sort of reassemble the team and kind of get Oz you know back in you know in some semblance of order but but home Kansas America the 1930s are, are presented as like deeply stressful and scary and difficult and painful places that she's trying to leave again and that Oz is sort of the like utopia she wants to return to and in the books some of the characters in Return to Oz that she meets are drawn from the books there's a mechanical clock guy named TikTok there's an evil witch named Mombi who I had a problematic childhood crush on because she's really hot <laughs> there's uh, a bunch of terrifying guys called the wheelies that are sort of like sentient motorcycle monsters that like when I was a kid were terrifying so there's sort of bits and pieces of it that are kind of drawn from the books but the there's like dozens of them and in the books Dorothy returns to Oz a lot and then ends up permanently settling there with Auntie Em and Uncle Henry in like the sixth book or something and kind of takes on a leadership position so what I think is really interesting about the choice of this as a title for this episode, particularly for the whole sort of finale, is that, and I think the scene between Jack and Claire, or Jack and Kate is a really good example of it, is like, we're seeing them both trying so desperately to get off the island, to get home, you know, everyone's trying to get to the helicopter, everyone's trying to get to the boat, everyone's trying to like, leave, 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 but we know because of the flash forwards that like, leaving the island doesn't solve their problems, and that... Mm. And that there's this pull, this continuous pull of like, we have to go back there. We have unfinished business there. There's like things that are not necessarily sort of named specifically, but like Jack in particular are feeling really called to go back to that place. And then we also know there's two further seasons of the show set on the Mm -hmm. island. Like we know that some combination of these people do go back and some combination Mm -hmm. of them do end up staying there. So it, so on the surface, it seems like, 
all we have to do is like, you know, escape from this island and everything's going to be great. And then like we kind of know because of the structure of it with the flash forwards and just, you know, that watching it after the fact when you know that there's two further seasons coming, that that isn't the end. It isn't like the sort of easy, like cinematic, you know, motion picture, happy ending of the story. Dorothy goes back to Oz right. or goes back to Kansas and then like, that's the end. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. But like it sort of extended <laughs> Oz story, whether it's the kind of like grim dark version in the movie or the more just a, a story that hasn't ended yet of the books that kind of continue on and on and the world keeps expanding that her leaving at the end of that sort of first adventure is like nowhere near the end of her relationship with Oz as a place just as mm-hmm. like Jack going home from the island does not in any way sever what we understand of like Jack's relationship with the island as a place. So I just wanted to sort of like right. that for you guys as we were sort of like talking about this going forward, that like the pull that Jack keeps feeling like actually does sort of resonate with the title in a in an interesting way beyond like what we mostly know about this line from the movie. Right. And oh it's like, God. first of all, this show has a like a, a standing relationship with The Wizard of Oz, too. I mean, like uh, Ben's first episode was called The Man Behind the Curtain. Mm-hmm. And that's especially important because he went by Henry Gale, which is the name, yeah. like the actual name of Dorothy's Uncle Ben, right? Mm-hmm. And and that he... Yeah, so it's like they have this like... As with mm-hmm. the wizard, he got to Oz first before Dorothy did. And he was already mm-hmm. sort of established there when Dorothy arrived. Mm-hmm. Like he, like the right. wizard came from Earth, regular Earth also. And so just mm-hmm. like we meet him, you know, as somebody who's already been on this island and then our characters are meeting him having arrived later. Like it, it sort of, yeah, it balances out nicely. Yeah, and I also, um, I like what you were saying about Jack because it's like in this episode he has that conversation with Locke and it's like, you know, Locke is telling him all of these things about how like you're going to want to come back and Jack is like, mm-hmm. LOL, as if. And then we see that Locke was right, but we never learn if Locke ever gets that vindication of knowing yeah. that Jack ever really did believe him and thought he yeah. was right, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or did it just remain, as so many things do for Locke, just a matter of faith? He just he just right, exactly. had to believe it. He was just holding on to that belief because he didn't know. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, but yeah, so just that's from, those are my Oz thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> Perfect. them. Some a couple things on Lostpedia here about it. So the final flash forward scene from Through the Looking Glass Part 2 is slightly re-edited in the previously on Lost segment at the beginning of the episode, adding a new shot of Kate's car driving off, which then leads into the first scene of this episode. However, Through the Looking Glass Part 2 ended with Jack turning around and walking towards his car, but in this episode he's still watching Kate's car drive off when Kate stops and changes to reverse gear. I'll allow it because this is really cool. So I <laughs> that's okay with me. I'm not going to be mad about it. In the commentary, um, there's a few things that, uh, so Damon had said, in the construction of this previously on, we had a very bold thing to do. Recap the previous episode, but then also recap last year's finale, which we finessed here with the coffin. And then obviously, as we come out of this recap, we've never done this before. You pick up the show in the second after the recap ends. And yeah, like I said, that was just really freaking cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that. It's so cool. Yeah. Like, you think that she just drives away, but then she comes back and she's like, mm-hmm. we have to go back. Like, you've been calling me nonstop for two full days, completely sloshed. And you have this obituary for Jeremy Bentham. He came to me and I heard him out, but I knew he was crazy, but I never expected this from you. And this is the first time we're hearing the name Jeremy Bentham. This is going to be really important next season. And it's weird because 
I guess, you know, after having seen the show so many times, it's like, I've heard the name Jeremy Bentham so many times that like, it's, it, it gets confusing as to where the audience hears it for the first time. That was something I was trying to remember. That was a question I had was mm-hmm. if this is the first time. As far as I understand, this is the first time that we heard the name Jeremy Bentham. Like Jack went and he had this obituary in the season three finale and he went and saw like the coffin. And we know that Jeremy Bentham is the person who's in that coffin. And it's right. clearly somebody that we know who's going by a pseudonym. Right. You know? That was what I thought Yeah, was, was that like we know that Jeremy Bentham is somebody else it's somebody who's in the coffin. We know we're sort of waiting for that reveal. Right. And it's been a full season. Yeah. <laughs> before they've told us. Yeah. Which, and I had forgotten that. I like, I read all the recaps because I was like, oh, I, I know this is from like a previous, like the work mm-hmm. sending on a previous scene. And I did not realize that I was like, oh, it's from like a whole, like this is, this is a year later that like everyone is getting the sort of second half of this conversation, which is, yeah, again, incredible storytelling. I love nonlinear storytelling and mm-hmm. like, that's that's got to be part of why I love this show so much. It's like what you can do with nonlinear storytelling is just so cool. Mm-hmm. But so I was wondering if I was a person watching this for the first time and I had to wait now after this finale, however many months until the show was going to come back. If I only got this name, what could I assume? So when I Google Jeremy Bentham, he was an English philosopher, jurist and social reformer regarded as the founder of modern utilitarianism. And I was like, cool. I'm also going to need to look up what utilitarianism is. (laughs) So it's a family of normative ethical theories that prescribe actions that maximize happiness and well-being for all affected individuals. Utilitarianism is a version of consequentialism, which states that the consequences of any action are the only standard of right and wrong. Unlike other forms of consequentialism, such as egoism and altruism, utilitarianism considers the interests of all sentient beings equally. So that's very interesting that it's like all about caring about what's going to make other people happy and that the only thing that makes something right or wrong is the consequences Mm -hmm. of what happens. Well, I also think it's interesting and I don't, I don't want to say enough here to land this in spoiler territory, but there are multiple characters on this show who are named after philosophers. So having, having the character have the alias of a philosopher might narrow it down to like two or three, but is not Mm -hmm. in and of itself proof of like, Oh, it's definitely this person. Definitely this person. Right. And that's something that I think is interesting too, is a sort of a reminder that like they've, they've used this rhetorical device before. Right. And it's like, you know, uh, no spoilers for the other half of the finale or the other third of the finale, I guess. But by the end of this finale, you're going to know who it is. Right. And so it's like, if I'm looking and I'm watching part two and part three in one go, I'm not Googling Jeremy Bentham in the mm-hmm. commercial. You know what I mean? Because yeah. as far as I know, that's just a name. Well, and it's not even necessarily a philosopher, you know? So hopefully you would learn before before you had to even look it up. Yeah. Well, and what I remember from when, like, when I was first watching this show and, and you're sort of trying to, like, put the pieces together, the, mm-hmm. the mysteries that I remember kind of over the course of this season is like is that you're told like you hear the oceanic six over and over again and then you have these other sort of mentions like jeremy bentham or like or or sort of who's in the coffin of like somebody else who isn't in those six and so sort of Mm -hmm. putting together over the course of the season who like who's going to make it off the island by the end, Mm -hmm. knowing that like it isn't everybody and that there's a number of misdirects Mm -hmm. 
like one in, you know, in, in this episode is like, you're very much set up from the previous episode in this one to think that Sawyer is going to be, you know, in the final batch. And then when he jumps off of the mm-hmm. helicopter and swims back to the island, then you're sort of like, right, okay, right. so like Sawyer's then is not one of those. But sort of mathing out in your head, like who came home at the end? Like how how do they get off? Who's included in that? And then it's like that there's sort of six plus this other at least one kind of floating question mark. And and that so like that was what I remember of trying to sort of like conspiracy theory board out like who it could be. Like I do remember trying mm-hmm. really hard to like solve it without clues. Like, okay, like who based on, you know, yeah. you should triangulating it based on like who's most likely to have escaped or who would be in the coffin. Like why would, you know, why would Jack have gotten the way he got like why would everybody respond to this character's death in the ways that we see them respond to and trying to kind of like guess from that but i don't i don't remember if i was right i think i wasn't which is interesting <laughs> yeah and speaking of misdirects it's so cool because like you know uh, at the end of this next the next part of the finale we get a shot of who's in the coffin mm-hmm. um and they shot at least three different yes i saw that yeah what people in that coffin so that if anything no it wouldn't leak. yeah if if what mm-hmm, exactly yeah this is the first i'm hearing of this yeah you can look you can look it up dude i'll send you pictures i'll text you pictures right now holy sugar but yeah <laughs> let's move let's move on so so jack says that yes he believed jeremy bentham when he came and talked to him because he said it was the only way to keep kate and aaron safe she slaps him because this show really does like slapping people in particular women it's like men are allowed to be as violent as they want but women are like constantly slapping people like like dudes are constantly punching you know what i mean but women are slapping i don't know i'm just saying women are slapping all the time women be slapping women be slapping slapping. (laughs) and so kate says don't even say his name i have to like explain to him why you're not there and i spent the last three years trying to forget what happened that day and now you ask me to go back and so we're just learning, I believe, in this moment that it's been, like, three years. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that we yeah. we sort of learned, we knew that there was, like, quite a bit of time, but I don't think we realized how much time until now. And, you know, they're, like, horrible things happened that day. Like, right before yeah. we get to see yeah. what happened. So cool. Very mm-hmm. good storytelling. I love it. And she leaves. So, yeah. All right. Last scene. <laughs> Last scene of the flashes, Hurley is eating candy at Santa Rosa and Michael's mom slash Walt's grandma comes up and she says, are you Hurley? And he goes, yep. And like, <laughs> it's so funny. He's yes, fully famous. Like, girl doesn't watch the news. Like, fully famous. Do you know who I am? I'm one of the Oceanic Six. And she goes, are you Hurley? And he goes, yeah. It's humbling. So she says, are you dangerous? And he says, I have a full fruit roll up in my mouth. Do I seem dangerous? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. On Lostpedia, it said, Hurley is seen opening a fruit roll-up with the words Molly Fisher on it, where the name of the flavor should be. Molly Fisher is the name of a mysterious rock in Kent, Connecticut, near a body of water known as the Hatch Pond. It appears to have inscriptions of runes and hieroglyphs that have yet to be deciphered. So it is uh, sort of a little baby Easter egg, which is really cool. Okay. Yeah. So Hurley says, uh, do I know you? And she goes, no, but you know my grandson. And we see like old, taller ghost Walt, but taller real Walt standing waiting. And she says, we traveled across the country to see you. So are you going to do anything crazy? And like, I mean, he is in a mental health institute, but that doesn't mean like he's violent. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I I understand that she's being protective, but like. I know how I feel. It makes me feel icky. Yeah. Mm. Some of that was the time too. Like it was so normalized in shows of that era to just assume 
mental health equals violent, violent equals danger. Like it's just, it's a, it's a played out trope. And I think we have better language for it now, but I was sort of like, yeah, I guess for 2000 or whatever, like I'm, I'm annoyed, but not surprised that that's the assumption. Exactly. Annoyed, yeah. but not surprised. Yeah. So Hurley's like, no, I'll be okay. Um, hi, Walt. And Walt goes, hey, you still owe me $20,000 from playing back McGammon and I'm here to collect. <laughs> <laughs> As he should. Where's my money, Hurley? Mm-hmm. Hurley's like, I gave that all the way to my parents. Oh, no. So Hurley says, oh, you look so much older. And Walt goes, yeah, cool. So I was waiting for somebody to come see me um, when you guys came back. But, like, no one ever did. But you oh. know who did? Jeremy Bentham. And so that's two Jeremy Benthams in the scene or in, uh, in a row. And he goes, also, why are you guys all lying? And Hurley says, because it's the only way to protect everyone who didn't come with us. And Walt goes, like my dad? And Hurley says, exactly. Yeah. You know, when you came back, I was waiting for one of you to come see me. But nobody did. Sorry. Do you know who did come see me? Jeremy Bentham. I don't understand why you're all lying. We're lying? Because it's the only way to protect everyone that didn't come back. Like my dad? Like your dad? Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that Carlton said in the commentary. He said, We love the poignancy of Walt in this scene, asking about the fate of his father. Hurley has now got to make a decision. Do I tell him the truth or do I basically lie? And Hurley decides to kind of perpetuate the lie. This worked out well because we were really intent on sort of building the pressure on all of our Oceanic Six, you know, about this lie that they're trying to tell. The fact that they're trying to do something extremely hard, which is sustain a hugely complex and elaborate lie and the toll that is beginning to take on each of them as characters. I I did really like, I mean, I, it was so good to see Walt again, but it really was so, Mm -hmm devastating that he wait that he waited three years and for any of them mm-hmm. to come and see him and nobody did like that was that was really mm-hmm. right. hard to watch but i, I it was oh. so interesting like this scene and then it plays in a little bit on the island with the, the conversation between um jack and Locke and in two other places too just like the sort of recurring theme of like of of the lie being built and then the lie fracturing like the sort of two like yes. the beginning of the story coming together like okay how are we going to sort of frame the you know the misdirect so that like what do we need to lie about why why do we need to lie what's the goal of the lie the, the very mm-hmm. earliest sort of putting those pieces together and then three years later on the back end as the lies beginning to crumble and both between like Jack and Kate and then here with like Hurley and and Walt just the sort of realization yeah like I said of how hard how hard it is just to sustain that how much you know mm-hmm. some of them just don't want to do it like they you know they all have really different personalities but like Hurley doesn't like lying you know it's not as right. comfortable for him as somebody like like Saeed like Kate where the the life that they led before them like they would just have had to have been better at it like he's really uncomfortable yeah. mm-hmm. you, okay Casey? yes sorry i just no i just got the pictures that you sent and i'm shook <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about him in the spoiler section because i learned that today too and that was wild yeah we will we will ah! it's very cool oh my god how have i never seen okay. these Okay. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to talk about the flashes before we move on to everything that happens on the island? No, I think um, I think we can hop to the island. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So the smaller storyline is the freight freighter slash a beach storyline. So I'll do the summary for that now. After the revelation at the end of last episode that there's a bomb on board the Kahana, Desmond, Michael, and Jin try to figure out what to do. Desmond, having some bomb experience from the military, says there's nowhere to cut the wires that won't make it explode. Looks like the signal for it to go off will be triggered remotely. Later, Michael grabs a tank of liquid nitrogen and heads downstairs. He talks to Sun on the deck first, and she reveals that she's pregnant to him. Michael explains to Des and Jin that he wants to freeze the bomb so it won't go off when it's triggered. At the beach, Dan makes it back with the Zodiac raft. Juliet starts getting the next group ready to go while Dan goes to talk to Miles and Charlotte. Dan tells them that they need to leave. Miles says he'd like to stay and cryptically implies to Charlotte that she does too. When he's about to leave, Charlotte tells Dan that she also wants to stay because she's looking for where she was born. Dan gets ready to leave. Back on the freighter, Michael is spraying the nitrogen onto the bomb. There's only a quarter tank left. If they can't get it deactivated, they're going to need to evacuate the boat. Ooh. Juicy. Spooky. So... Right after what we saw at the end of last episode where they realized that there's a bomb, we see Desmond, Michael, and Jim. Did I say Jim? Jim? Jim looking at the bomb. Jim Halper? Whoever Jim is. In Lost. Yeah. <laughs> we love a crossover. Desmond said, if, if you guys had, if there was a the office character that was going to be on Lost, I feel like it should be Dwight, I think. 1,000%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Robin from a month and a half later. Um, this is not at all important, but I just want to put my own hat in the ring for Creed. I think Creed should be on Lost if anybody should. Thanks. Okay, so Desmond goes, hey, this is a lot of explosives. Desmond says that he did some bomb squad training in the military and like this stuff is no joke. So Michael says, okay, is it on a timer? Like it hasn't gone off yet. And Desmond says there's a radio receiver. So the bomb's going to be triggered remotely when the signal is sent. Jin asks if they can turn it off. And Desmond explains all the wires that they could cut, but they're all going to make it explode. And I love this moment because Desmond is like, okay, we could do this, but then boom, and we could do this, and then boom, we could do this, and then boom. But if we do this, and then, and Jin goes, boom. Yeah. Like, Jin totally understands <laughs> onomatopoeias, you know? Like, that is a, that's a figure, to, figure of speech that Jin totally has mm-hmm. down. He goes, onomatopoeias. I love this trio. Got it. Yeah, for sure. That, They're so fun. That I, I was actually just thinking, I was like, God, this is, I would watch these three men do, like, I would watch a whole hour that was just those guys trying to solve mm-hmm. the bomb problem because, like, they're all just yeah. so outrageously charismatic. They, mm-hmm. um, Daniel Day Kim is such a expressive, Babe. nuanced actor that even when he doesn't have a ton of dialogue, he's, like, so present as like mm-hmm. a a third oh yeah he's such a good listener vital component in Active that conversation listener. 100% which i loved but um and and also just like you know again diving back into this not having watched lost in a long time it just mm-hmm. i i'm just so happy to see michael again like i remember when i watched this yeah. the first time and when he shows up on the boat and you realize who kevin johnson is and and what a mm-hmm. like oh my god like he's back and then and then walt in the, yeah. in the episode too like you know right. having like the them sort of not uh, together but both in the same episode felt really Mm -hmm. lovely because they're just characters that you really miss once they leave yeah for Mm -hmm. sure for sure i do think it's funny though that like in meet kevin johnson michael is like i thought there was a bomb on the boat and i tried to make it go off and now there's a bomb on the boat and now i don't want it to go (laughs) off (laughs) i just can't win (laughs) damon and carlton said in the commentary that the props team did research onto how much c4 it would take to blow up the freighter but c4 is very powerful and it was only about half as big as this um, so they made them make it bigger and look scarier with more wires. I, you know, I was actually thinking, I was like, I don't, you know, 
I'm a theater major. I have no military experience. I have no concept of like how much C4 is a lot of C4, but I was looking at it going like, that feels like a lot of C4. (laughs) That feels like you're trying to like level a city. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I simply feel like one would do the job. Well, both flammable. So, like, how you know, if if your goal is to sink a ship, it would definitely sink. You don't yeah. need to. You don't need it to be in smithereens to like. You could do this much more affordably, terrorists. Like you could, <laughs> right? And like, where was this C four before? Right. If you had like three or four bars of C four, and you just put it on like the bottom of the like lowest level floor of the hold of the ship and then it blows up and then boom you've got a hole in the hull like there's your problem uh-huh. solved and then you can save all that seagull for your next gig people should hire me exactly to be their munitions <laughs> expert i'm Correct. so efficient. exactly <laughs> yeah i i can get your budget down local munitions expert claire willett joins <laughs> us on the podcast this week yeah <laughs> uh, a fictionado's bomb consultant claire willett but i did it is yeah <laughs> what what i think it does really accomplished though she specializes Catholicism and bombs <laughs> Catholicism and time travel uh, gays Catholicism time travel and bombs my my four yeah, specialties perfect um but I do what it what it does really accomplish is like you and then really the whole the whole sort of you know from the minute the again speaking of you know Chekhov's guns from the minute the bomb is introduced mm-hmm. and you see it you're like okay now we are in like a race against time to figure out how to either stop it from going off or get everybody off this ship before it goes off because like, you know, boom. And so having it be sort of, yes, unrealistically, but like, you know, inflated to being this like giant pile of explosives, like wires everywhere. It does really make you feel like when Desmond is saying like, you know, he took like a semester of bombs 101 Mm -hmm. when he was in the military. And it's like, this is beyond your pay grade. Like he would, there's no way that he could possibly know what to do with this. And so I think it does help sort of like plant for you in your brain. Like this is not a situation where anyone is coming into this with the ability to just make the problem go. They're going to have to do something that like super chaotic, like with the, with Michael bringing in the liquid nitrogen. But even, even that is sort of just like, that's just stalling. Like no, no one can Mm -hmm. actually defuse this bomb. Like that sort of feels like the key takeaway from Desmond's investigation. Like we can't actually stop this thing. All we can do is like maybe slow it and then hope that the radio receiver, which they don't know where the other end of it is. And then like we find Mm -hmm. out later, like just kind of hope to God it doesn't go off. And so I think that like, it's effective in that way of just sort of making you really realize like this is, you know, where we can't go a whole nother season with everyone just sailing around on this boat, like the boats on the clock. Mm -hmm. Right. And like something that they had talked about a lot in the um, commentary for the constant is their concept of a shot computer, which is something that they did in season two when they first introduced Desmond um, is that they were like, well, if they just met Desmond, they could just ask him any question that they want to and he would just answer them. Mm -hmm. And so they shot the computer so that Desmond would freak out and they like had a they were on a clock, basically, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And so it's like. I mean, it makes sense. It's the season finale that they would, like, give us another shot computer, which is that, like, okay, nobody ask any questions. We're too busy doing this thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you and you have to, like, for for a big action set piece like this to have 
stakes, and we can talk about this again when we get to the helicopter too, because I think it's the mm-hmm. same sort of narrative mechanic. Like, in order to make it not feel too easy, you have to kind of plant those little obstacles along the way. So, like, the mm-hmm. bomb can't be something that's of a degree of simplicity that a person trained in bomb disposal would be able to understand how to just like, oh, snip the blue wire, then snip the yellow wire. Presto, no more bomb, crisis averted. Like you have to establish, Mm -hmm. you know, like here's all the layers of complications that allow us to then keep this suspense running of like, who's going to get off the boat? Are they going to get off the boat? How will they get off the boat? And all of those sort of pieces keep churning. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, even in like the next couple scenes, like Desmond, who seems to be the person who knows the most about bombs is like, oh, I found something that will stop it. And then Jin notices that it isn't right. So it's like, it's Mm -hmm. an impossible problem. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked that, that like, that it was like, no, Jin actually like contributed significantly to this. Like he was able to sort of, yeah, tracing the wires back. Yeah, for sure. So Michael brings over a tank of liquid nitrogen across the deck and Sun goes, hey, what's going on down there? Because she saw what happened and then she was ushered out by Jin. So um, she's like, hey, I'm not sure what to do about this. And Michael's like, don't tell anybody. And she's like, no, I haven't told anybody. But, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to not tell people about, to be honest. Everybody's just like walking around like nothing's wrong and they don't know that they're about to explode or something. So she says, Are you going to be able to figure it out? And Michael says, hopefully we'll be okay. I have this idea. And you know what? Jin doesn't even need to be there. He should be up here with you. Which is like, I don't know, because we get down there and Jin is very important. And then as he's walking away, Sun tells him that she's pregnant and he says, okay, I mean, congrats. That's great. And you know, he says it very genuinely. It's lovely. And then they part ways. His smile was really sweet. Like there, I just, I found that such a nice little moment you know just like a a little parent to parent kind of Mm -hmm. moment of human connection like i just i found that i found that really sweet and like michael was there for when like sun and jin were at their worst Mm -hmm. and when they like came back together and so like i love that and i also think that like michael loves jin and so it's like thinking about how happy being a father has made him thinking that Jin is going to get that too is like maybe also a really lovely thought but number one we got to get ourselves off this boat first right (laughs) yeah true for that to even happen you know what do you guys think that Sun was thinking in that moment when she sort of like came out with it It really felt like almost a little bit out of place in that moment so what, what, what do you guys think made her want to tell Michael in that moment about it I well I guess I mean I I think there's a couple different things that it could be. I do like that it's a little bit ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, my sort of first initial thought is that it's kind of a, a a way to reinforce to Michael how urgent this is. You know, like... Right. right yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how, how, like there's even sort of implicitly like there's even more at stake than you realize in mm-hmm. getting us off this boat safely and you know and 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 also i think that she's she's conveying that to him you know again in in a sort of like a a parent to a parent you know sort of way Mm -hmm. like you need to get me and my husband safely off of like we need to leave this place together because like now there's like now there's a baby in the picture i i did it did remind me a little bit of like thematically one of the things that i noticed I noticed a lot in the um, 
season six episodes that I watched wrongly, but then also <laughs> a little bit when I was sort of catching up on this one too, just sort of how often in this show women women's relationships with women, but also their sort of platonic relationships, even with the other male characters are like triangulated around babies. Like, yes. Like the, for like just little things like how rarely you ever see any man who wasn't Charlie holding Aaron or note or asking where Aaron is or sort of checking in on Aaron, but also like, you know, like son's baby and how that sort of like shapes her relationships and, you know, with other characters and, you know, and, and that like men respond differently to a pregnant woman or to a mother, like in a way where it's like, sometimes it like almost bugs a little bit. Cause you're sort of just like, is the implication here that like, she's more valuable. He should work harder to save her because there's an unborn child, which then sort of devalues like, son as a person or assumes he wouldn't work as hard to save her if it was just saving her son the adult human woman so like so sometimes you're just like is this like a a hint of a troubling male writer trope mm-hmm. but i don't but it's also but like that's i mean some that might just be like a mean way of looking at it like because it's also a sort of a lovely way of just her kind of being like here's a, here's a a thing I'm bursting to share with people that gives me a new tie with you that you and I didn't have before. And on that level, Mm -hmm. I think it's really lovely. Yeah. And I do, it sort of makes me laugh now because she's like literally holding Aaron. And so Michael's Mm -hmm. like, okay, we have to do this to protect the baby. And now she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh my God, there are two babies. Yeah. Plot twist, two babies. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh no, it's worse than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. So he gets back downstairs. And he explains that he wants to freeze the bomb. And he's thinking that if we keep the bomb cold, then hopefully it wouldn't react. But we only have one canister of it. So if we run out, it's like we never had it at all. And Desmond's like, well, let's just save it for when the light turns red. And Michael's like, let's not. (laughs) Because if it does that and it's not already frozen, we're dead. And so he's like, okay, let's do it. And so Desmond and Jin sort of get to work looking and trying to figure out where each of the wires go to. And Michael starts freezing it up. That this to me actually was the most stressful part of the bomb process. Just sort of thinking about like, like what you would do if you were there where you're like, okay, this will stall for a certain amount of time. We don't know how long. And Mm -hmm. if you start it now, you might finish too early. But if you wait, right, you might start to like, I just thinking like, Right. How do you know, like, how do you Mm -hmm. decide when to deploy the one thing you have? Because you're sort of trying to buy time for everybody else, but you have no idea, like, you know, is 20 minutes enough? You don't know who has the other end of that. Like, I was I was getting so stressed for them trying to decide (laughs) at what point do you deploy deploy the liquid nitrogen and like. And and sort of start your new countdown clock of stalling the explosion. Like, just should yeah. you do it right away? Should you like wait a little bit? I, I was just like, like for that part really particularly made me be like, oh, oh my god, <laughs> I'm yeah. so stressed for them. <laughs> yeah, fully. So Dan gets back to the beach and we get the trek music, which I love always. And people are sort of like helping him out. And Juliet's like, so everybody got there? And Dan's like, no, I dropped them off in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> Juliet. <laughs> so he, she said, are they going to come any closer? And Dan says, yeah, they fixed the engine. They're coming as close as they can. And so hopefully it's going to make these trips go a little bit faster. But one second, I'm just thirsty. <laughs> and 
<laughs> so she says she's going to get the next group ready. And she says, thank you so much for helping us. And Faraday says, absolutely. And he like really wants to help. He's just a great guy. But then he turns and his face is very concerned. He's like, of course. Yeah, no problem. Lots of problems. Yikes. <laughs> now, quick cue. And, and you can shut me up if this is spoilery. But do okay. we canonically at this point know why he's concerned? I think that, oh, he knows about the secondary protocol. Okay. So he knows that they're heading to the orchid and he knows that the orchid is the place where you quote unquote move the island. Gotcha. Okay. As you do. So he knows that if we don't get off the island, the island is moving and then we have no way of getting off the island and we're basically just like the survivors of Oceanic 815. Okay. Because I, I was trying to figure out if like, if, if it was to do with, which I think is... I think this isn't a spoiler because I think this comes up earlier in the season, like with Lapidus, but, but the idea that like of time moving differently, right? Like, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So, cause I, I was like, is he concerned that like, like is, is the source of his concern basically that like between the secondary protocol and the existing time wonkiness that like mm -hmm. by the time, like that, that the Zodiac does not have one more trip mm. left in her. And like, if they right. try to, if they take everybody and then try to bring it back, like for one more round, that it'll already be too late and that they'll like, you know, end up either not being able to find the island or, or that some like, like time mayhem will happen. But I forgot that he would also know about the secondary protocol. So that, that actually makes me. Yeah. Sense. I absolutely think all of the above. Yeah. I think that he's also just a little bit of an anxious guy. So there's probably a lot of other things he's worried about too. I like the little exchange between him and this was almost my, my quote of the episode award, but I, the little exchange between him and, um, and Miles where um, where he's like, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm getting across the direness of the situation. And Miles is like, oh no, you're very dire. <laughs> like, I was still going to stay, but like, I love that. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Direness confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Your direness is, you're doing well. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of, we see Miles eating peanuts and Rose comes over and goes, hey, who told you you could eat those? And he goes, can I eat them? <laughs> oh, and she was like, I'm keeping an eye on mm, you. Oh, I love Rose. I'm watching you. Yeah. Rose is the best. So Faraday shows up and is like, okay, come in, come and talk to me. And Charlotte's like, oh my God. Hi, Dan. And Faraday's like, I'm leaving in 10 minutes with another group and you guys need to be on the group. And Miles is like, no, I'm good. And Faraday, like you said, Claire is like, no, this is serious. And Miles is like, yeah, no, but I don't. <laughs> I'm going to stay. I don't, it does, that doesn't matter. And Charlotte is like, okay. So she says, yes, I will be on the group that Dan says. And Miles goes, you want to leave after all the work you put in to get back here? And Charlotte goes, get back here. And Miles goes, hmm, I don't know. I'm such a weird little goofy guy. <laughs> anyway, and he leaves. And that's new information, right? Like that was, right. that was new to the audience as well as to charlotte that he knows something about charlotte right yeah and so we'll talk about this in the spoiler section but i have no memory of how he would know that she has been here before like we'll talk about it in the spoiler yeah. section a little bit more in detail i think but like i don't know how he knows that and i maybe have to look it up but anyway Carlton said in the commentary, we had bigger plans to tell the backstories of these freighter folk. That was the thing that ended up getting pushed because we weren't able to do the full hours of the season because of the writer strike. Mm. So we weren't able to spend out their stories. So we ended up really just throwing a few more hints about them into the finale, things that would intrigue the audience and keep them engaged and interested in these characters. And we would come back to them in season five. 
And they do. I, I That is something that I do think, actually, that the show does really well is every time a new batch of characters is introduced, you know, like, sort of each successive season, you're like, now here's, like, between, you know, four and 30 brand new people that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And, and that it never pulls you so far away from you know, caring about the main characters and it never really feels like they're sort of spreading themselves too thin, but you, it always gives you sort of just enough to hook into that. You're like, Oh, okay. Like here's, here's sort of the small subset of this new group that I'm like really intrigued by and want to know more about and who in later seasons will, you know, like become more significant. But I think they do a good job of that across the board. Yeah, for sure. And they also are giving you characters that don't like, they're just like random characters and they're like, here's a mystery about my character. And I'm like, well, I don't care about you. So that means nothing to me. Exactly. Their mysteries are tied in with the mysteries we already care about. Yeah. So that we, so it makes us care about them. And they're all interesting, memorable people too. Like mm-hmm. my, Miles is, I had forgotten about Miles and I was just like, oh my God, I love mm-hmm. this kid. He's such a, like, <laughs> he's, he's just, best. he's, he's so funny and his, and his connection to the story is so odd and, and, and the sort of dynamic amongst them is also great. So yeah, I, I liked, I liked him. And I like Charlotte too. Yeah. So Dan goes to Charlotte to go and tell her something, um, and she decides that she's also going to stay on the island for now. And Dan goes, yeah, okay, just to be clear, if you don't come now, you are going to be here forever. And Charlotte says that nothing is forever. And what if I told you I was still looking for where I was born? So this is very interesting because Miles says, oh, all the work that you did to come back here. And I don't know how he would know that because the fact that Charlotte doesn't even know oh, crap, maybe this is the place I was looking for? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, so weird that Miles does maybe mm-hmm. know that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I guess with Miles, like, the assumption is always, like, did a dead person tell him that, you know? Right, exactly. But we didn't yeah. see mm-hmm. it, and it's not fleshed out. So it does feel a little, like, that's an odd thing for my coworker to just know about me that <laughs> I've never disclosed to him myself. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then they hug and she kisses him on the cheek, which is really sweet. And, like, we know that he, like, loves her. And so, like, this moment is, like, so big for him. Mm. And he looks so sad because now he has to leave her. And he thinks forever, you know? Listen, uh, I wanted to say, before you get on the boat, please. I'm gonna stay, Daniel. For now, anyway. Charlotte. There is no war for now. If you don't come with me for now, it could be forever. Nothing's forever. Why? Would it make any sense if I told you I was still looking for where I was born? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle. So he goes over to Juliet and he's like, bet you're also not coming. And Juliet's <laughs> like, and you'd be right about that. <laughs> I love this moment. It's so sweet. Yeah. She says that she has to get everyone off safely first, but she'll still be here when you get when he gets back. Mm-hmm. And Dan goes, right, when I get back. Yeah. Casey, talk to me about this scene. I just think it's so sweet, the two of them, like seeing how their relationship has developed. And I feel like Juliet mm-hmm. just like really sees him. Yeah. If that makes sense. 
And it's just, yeah. it's so tender. It's so sweet. It's so wholesome. I love them. They're both like scientists. Yeah. Yeah. They got the scientist vibe. They're both just smart little curious people. Yeah. And she also has such a gentle energy that I feel like she really mm-hmm. responds to other people who also have that. And I feel like mm-hmm. he has that too. But he also sort of is like a person who kind of operates at a high pitch of anxiety. And I think of Juliet as someone who's like very calming. <laughs> Relatable. You know, mm-hmm. so like she's yeah. just like, like Juliet just, she's so good at like soothing and like de-escalating, which, you know, I mean, like if you're delivering babies, it's like probably comes up a lot in your line of work, you know, how to like yes. calm down the screaming. So she just yeah. like has such a, a like gentle, soothing presence. And I think that part of what, what some, so many of these characters like respond to so positively in her, particularly in this scene is like, she is exactly the person that you would want to be in charge of, like getting mm-hmm. all of the rescued people to safety. Like she is, mm-hmm. you know, she's like very efficient. She's very pragmatic. She's, like people, everybody trusts her. But that, yeah, it it is it is sort of there is that little like you know little pang of heartbreak of where they sort of leave where he's thinking like she's expecting I'm going to come back with the raft. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I can come back with the raft. So, like, yeah. I I know things she doesn't know. And, like, this might be goodbye, but I can't say that because then it would, like, cause a pain, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, I feel that from Dan. Like, I feel like there's a lot of things. I mean, Dan has had memory issues, right? So I feel like, and when he finally gets to the island, he has, like, so much more clarity back in his life. And what was I going to say? <laughs> what did you just say about dan he's anxious he... and that she's calming to him uh-huh. and that he trusts her and and that he he leaves like sort of implying that he'll be back but not knowing that he can really promise that and like feeling guilty about it is any of that yeah i think okay so yeah now i'm like what did i just say <laughs> what the heck okay basically i feel like dan has a lot of memory issues and so it's like he he was without stuff so long and so it's like oh i figured it out i found i I brought it back for my own self but like i feel like he has constantly like struggled with knowing too much Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. knowing too much and having to like keep it inside for you know and it's just like them lying out on the outside is that it's like to protect other people i have to like lie or keep something in and so he's constantly like especially in like the the constant and stuff Mm -hmm. like that we learn that he has all of this information this wealth of knowledge that he just like can't do anything with you know and so it's like that's why i think his memory issues is such like a poignant thing is that it's just like okay, well, if you have so much struggle with how much you know, what if we take it all away? Is that better? Yeah. And now he gets it back and he's struggling again. And it's such a, you're so right. Like it's it's such a agonizing little parallel between him and Hurley because they're just like, mm-hmm. like left to their own devices. These are not people who want to be lying to anybody at all. Like they're not comfortable with it. He's still wearing a tie, Claire. He's wearing a tie. <laughs> he's worn a tie this whole time. Yeah, he's just he's just this like soft, gentle, like nerd baby. And uh-huh. and and they're they're fundamentally kind and honest people. And mm-hmm. and so like the you know the lengths that the island sort of pushes people to to go against their own nature in order to protect it, protect people from it, to, you know, save as many lives as they can, all of these sort of extreme circumstances forces like sort of habitually very mild mannered and open hearted and gentle people like Hurley and Faraday to become people that they don't want to be. And I think that that's something that like 
it's sort of a running thread throughout it. Like some people become their best self when they come to the island and it like unlocks something new yeah. and positive in them that's better than the life that they came for. And I think that like for those two, it's like it doesn't not give them that, but also like the burden that it puts on you of like now you have to do all of this like, you know, manipulation of information or there's things that you can't say or which which is just not how either of them want to like want to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think I only have one scene left, but to um, for the end of this scene, there is one background actor who's helping get the Zodiac back in the water, and her thong is fully whale tailing out of her pants. Like, <laughs> fully. And I'm like, I guess it's realistic for the early 2000s? I, I don't know. She has other priorities. Yeah, which I guess I respect. But so on the freighter, and I think that actually like some of these on like the streaming version, like some of these are like a little bit mixed up and stuff like that, but... As for the DVD version that I was looking at, we have this last scene with Michael still spraying and everything. Um, Desmond thinks he found a wire to cut, but Jin catches that it wouldn't work. And in Korean, he says, I'm connected here. So obviously, you know, mm. it's connected mm -hmm. here. And Desmond is mad at himself. He doesn't know a enough about this. And they talk about what if the freezing thing doesn't work. And Michael says, we'll find out if the light goes red and we're still here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So they ask how much is left, and he says a quarter tank left, which obviously is one-fourth, so that's one of the lost numbers. And Desmond says, what if we can't deactivate it? And Michael says, then we need to get everybody off this boat, which is huge because we know that they are, like, constantly ferrying people. I mean, at this time in the episode, they're literally on the helicopter on their way to the boat. Yeah. Dan is on his way bringing more people to the boat, you know? And it's, so it's, like, it's really cool going into the final part of the finale that you're just, like, he's, like, we need to get everybody off this boat, and we know that everybody's on their way to the boat. Mm -hmm. Well, we're bringing everyone to the boat, yeah. Right. Is there anything else you guys wanted to mention about that storyline before we get into everything else with the orchid and the helicopter? No, just that it's really stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Facing so much secondhand anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Before we go into the rest of the episode, I would love to really quickly talk to you guys about Patreon. Um, it's a service in which you can donate to some of your favorite creators. Um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash theaffectionados. Um, and we have some pretty cool tiers that you can join if you would like to. The $1 level gets you early access to every single podcast. Um, this one and all of our other ones actually all come out a whole week in advance. Seems pretty worth it to me. The $2 level gets you access to our Discord server. $5 is 10% off at all three of our small businesses of the aficionados that are all in the description if you'd like to check them out. Um, and the $10 level gets you access to our Patreon-only podcast, which people seem to really like. Claire, you're a patron. What's your favorite part about being a patron? I like the special podcast that other people don't have access to. I like to get to know things about you guys that other people don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. I think that's Casey's favorite part, too. It's true. It makes me feel very exclusive. Mm-hmm. VIPs. We love recording it too because now that I don't live with Brittany and Sam anymore, it's like not that I wouldn't get to catch up with them anyway, but like having a scheduled time oh, yeah. to sit down and talk about our lives is like actually the best. Yeah. It's really the most yeah. efficient way to hold friendships. <laughs> right. <Truly>. Exactly. <laughs> It's great. So yeah, we'd really appreciate you guys' help on the Patreon. Our expenses continue to sort of like go up and all the money that we make on the Patreon either goes back into the podcast or helps pay me for my time. And so we'd really appreciate that. Uh, if not, check out those small businesses or just recommend us to a friend because that's free and it still helps and we really appreciate you. Thanks. Please do it. Please. 
All right, as for the rest of the episode, this is my summary for the orchid slash helicopter storyline. Sawyer and Jack trek through the jungle to get to Hurley. They find Hurley and Locke at the orchid. Locke explains that he's trying to get inside a hidden Dharma station. Kimi and his dudes march Ben through the jungle to get to the helicopter. Kate suddenly shows up saying she's being chased by Ben's people. A fight between the soldiers and the others unfolds. Omar is killed by a rogue grenade and the other dudes are killed as well. Ben and Kate make a run for it and Kimi starts running after them. Saeed attacks him and they fight. Kimi almost kills Saeed, but Richard saves him by shooting Kimi in the back. Yay, now he's dead, right? Uh Back at the orchid, Hurley thanks Sawyer for coming back for him. Jack and Locke argue about if Jack should leave the island or not. Locke says that if they go, they need to lie to protect the island. Ben gets back and he and Locke go down the elevator, leaving Jack. At the end of the very long elevator ride, Ben lets Locke watch the orientation video for the orchid as he piles a million metal things into a chamber. The video says not to do that, so Locke is confused. (laughs) The elevator begins to go up to bring someone else down. At the chopper, the Oceanic Four, as well as Lapidus and Sawyer, reunite. Sawyer helps Lapidus get his handcuffs off and they take off to the freighter. When the elevator comes back down in the orchid, Kimi exits, extremely not dead. He taunts Ben and explains that he has a heart monitor that will blow up the boat if his heart stops beating. Ben attacks and kills him anyway. In the air, the helicopter is leaking gas really quickly. They throw everything out to try and lighten the load, but it isn't enough. Sawyer whispers to Kate, kisses her, and throws himself out of the helicopter and into the ocean. Ah! Ugh. Youch. That was my own little screech. And then I guess in the streaming version, there's also the the moment where Ben doesn't care at all that he killed everybody. Correct. Um, but I don't have uh, notes on that, so maybe we'll talk about it next time. Great. Yeah. So, um, so I, first of all, I love that the, and I think this also carries over from the previous episode too, but like the, 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 the sort of, the way the whole structure of the storyline is so like, we just have to get to the helicopter. Everyone's trying to get to the heli- like the heli- like the helicopter represents like freedom, escape, safety. And so I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get my people there. I'm fighting off the other people who want to get there first. Like everything's mm-hmm. sort of leading up to that incredibly visceral moment of relief when the helicopter finally lifts off and they all feel yeah. like, ah, thank God <laughs> we're out of danger. And, and then like, the ten and like, but we know that there's a whole other situation unfolding on the freighter that they're helicoptering towards, so that they're not out of danger. And then with the fuel leak, it's like this: the the sort of layers upon layers of like, you got to feel relief for like thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that was a nice thirty seconds. And and then, but I love just like the tension, how the tension sort of ratchets up. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> Question about the um, so Kimi, who I I'd completely forgotten was even a character, <laughs> and and particularly had forgotten mm-hmm. like how incredibly significant of a character he is, and mm-hmm. particularly in terms of sort of like how you know the season ends. I was like, oh, I I forgot about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trigger for I mean the the thing that prompts Ben to basically like go banana pants and like surge out of the darkness and like kill him to death was was him referencing having killed ben's daughter and i couldn't remember but i was like i bet robin and casey will know was that new information to ben in that moment or or has he always known that and this is the first opportunity he has had to get revenge 
the second one. So, okay. Ben watched him kill his daughter. He did it right in front of him. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, so he, so he, that's right. I forgot he was there. This was really his first opportunity to kill Mm -hmm. Kimi, but I think that he was going to kill Kimi no matter what. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I I could not remember, because I didn't rewatch that one, whether he witnessed who did it or whether he just knew, like, it was Widmore's guys, but he didn't know, like. And didn't know exactly who it was. Specifically which one. Okay, all right. Thank you. I knew you'd know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the way the way it ends is so shocking because, like, you know, I mean, Locke is so interesting. Like, he's – Locke is so back and forth sometimes on, like, when you can rely on him to put other people's needs and safety before whatever he's kind of single-mindedly focused on. Because, like, he, mm-hmm. he has also been deeply chaotic at many times in the past and killed or caused the deaths of other people and sort of kept soldiering mm-hmm. on. But every once in a while, he he's sort of, particularly, I think, when he's, like, in contrast to Ben, who's like even further down the road to crazy town than Locke is like, it's just, I found it interesting to see Locke in the position of like, you know, of advocating for the reminder that there are innocent lives at stake. And then Ben just being like, Mm -hmm. so boom, cut to black. I was like, Whoa, right. (laughs) That is an ending. I know. By the way, I did, I did look and I do have notes for that scene. It's just like earlier in the episode Mm -hmm. on like the DVD version. But when I was watching with streaming with my parents uh, on Friday, I was like, I like it better where they end it with that. So moment. Like, it's like so good. It's so shocking. It mm-hmm. it is such a well, that's I noticed too because I was following along the Lost Pedia recaps as I was watching, mm-hmm. and I think that we do we have all the same scenes, but they were in a totally different order because yeah. in the Lost Pedia recap it places the miracles conversation between Locke and Jack much earlier in the episode than I got it because I was yeah. like scrolling like up down up down up down I was like wait a minute what they have and that's when I texted you when I was like I think I'm missing stuff but mm-hmm. some of it was just things that were the storylines were just like totally rearranged but I I actually think that's a really powerful ending both because like mm-hmm. we're sort of left with like even even Locke is like whoa man too far you know mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which it takes a lot to get him to. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's weird. Season four, the season four finale is, like, the worst for it. Because, like, I mean, you know, in the interviews with the Oceanic Six from last episode, there are, like, some questions that are f- only on the DVD. Some of them mm-hmm. that are only on streaming. Mm-hmm. Some of them that are, like, in different places. Some that you'll never see again. You know? Like, it's just weird. Yeah. It's, like, and, and the season four finale is the worst for it that they've, mm. they do that. I think, you know, there's... The director's cut of the, like, finale finale is, like, very important to me uh, that you see, mm-hmm. you know, because they, like, take out a couple of scenes in, like, the original... More key stuff, yeah. Yeah, or, like, in the, um, the, like, rerun version of it, but I always check to make sure that people are watching the... that, that the streaming version has the, like, original version. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but anyway, yeah. So we have Jack and Sawyer in the jungle and Sawyer wants to make sure that they're going the right way. And Jack says, Lapita said Northeast. So yes. And um, every time they do this, I'm always just reminded that like, you know, the compasses are sometimes broken on this. Yeah. On the island. So it's like, whenever they talk about directions, I'm just like, do you really know where you're going? (laughs) I don't know. But Sawyer says, you need to slow down or you're going to pass out. It's nice that he cares. And Jack goes, once again, I'm fine. I'm masculine. So don't worry about me. I'm going to do whatever I want. And Sawyer goes, yeah, okay, right, as always. So 
they find the orchid, and it's this greenhouse. Most of it's not really, like, standing anymore, and so they're wondering if this is even the right place. And Sawyer calls Jack Sundance, which is a reference to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, who is obviously one of the two main characters in that. It's a Western, so it's cute. I, I, I think that that sort of means that, like, Sawyer sees himself as Butch Cassidy and Jack is Sundance, which means that they're, like, sort of partners here, which I think is sweet. Yeah, that, I found that really cute. I actually like the yeah. the handful of times that it's just, like, the two of them having an adventure together. I always sort of secretly enjoy mm-hmm. that. Oh, yeah, the good ship Joyer. I love it. Yeah, I like it when they're getting along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're surprised by a sound, but it's just Hurley finishing peeing. Um, and <laughs> Sawyer, having just called Jack a nickname, continues to call Hurley Hugo, which is really sweet. And Hurley says, you came back. How did you know where to go? And we see that Sawyer is with Jack. And Jack says that it's good to see Hurley. And, you know, it's just sort of this awkward moment because, you know, Hurley went with Locke uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, they they split off and Hurley chose Locke. So it's this sort of awkward moment. And um, Jack says, so where is he? And you wonder, is he talking about Ben? Is he talking about Locke? It could be either, but I but I love the idea that Locke is like this belligerent toddler that Jack is like, where is he? <laughs> oh, so is this the first time? It's like, you just know who he that means. Jack and Hurley have seen each other since they split off? I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. Okay. So Hurley has seen like Kate and he's seen Saeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jack stayed on the beach. Yeah, there was something kind of fraught in that little moment. And I was trying to remember, I was like, oh, is this literally Mm -hmm. like their first time interacting since then? It felt like it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the three of them head to the greenhouse and Jack sees Locke sort of look looking through the plants because last episode, Ben told him that he needed to find anthuriums and that's how he would know where the like lever was or whatever this is one of my favorite moments in the whole thing is when you know ben comes back but so jack goes oh hey jack and you know this is the first time that they've seen each other since Mm. jack tried to kill Locke Mm -hmm. as well so yikes big moment i really love these scenes between them same so jack asks Locke what the hell he's doing and Locke goes well there's a dharma station below us and i am trying to get into it and jack goes and to do what and Locke goes um can we speak privately (laughs) and (laughs) Hurley and Sawyer are gonna leave and I think that's kind of them that they're like yeah okay sure whatever (laughs) they're gonna walk away I mean Locke did ask very politely and Jack says no I don't care we just came for Hurley so I don't actually want to hear from you I just want to leave and Jack and Sawyer are gonna walk away but Hurley sort of seems like he doesn't necessarily want to leave Locke which I think is nice so then Locke asks Jack to hear him out and Jack says no I need to get back to the helicopter and get everybody off this island and Hurley's like Oh, is that your goal? Not probably a great idea right now. Those scary dudes are taking Ben to that helicopter right now. He like gave himself up about an hour ago. And Jack goes, why would he do that? And then we cut to Ben, which is fun. Um, On Lostpedia, it said, uh, Rambo. Hurley tells Jack that he shouldn't go to the helicopter because those Rambo guys are heading there. John James Rambo was a troubled war veteran and a Green Beret in a series of movies that highlight his survival skills and special ops training. Going Rambo has become synonymous with a person who uses excessive gun violence. And of course, you know, Bernard had this whole thing in the season three finale where he said, I am a dentist. I am not Rambo. So Mm -hmm. bringing back the Rambo thing. Yes, that's that's a sort of for, for people my age, that's kind of like a common cultural shorthand for like the most like horrifically aggro like violent macho dude like insane bullshit like a Schwarzenegger turned up to 11 yeah Yeah. (laughs) my god 
So Kimi and the dudes are marching Ben through the jungle and Kimi goes, so tell me, Ben, why are you so damn important? Like, why is Widmore paying me so much money to bring you back alive? Um, and Ben says, did you tell, did he tell you to kill my daughter? Because that's him actively breaking the rules, right? Mm -hmm. So he wants to know, like Ben's whole thing in that, in that episode was that Widmore broke the rules. And we were like, is the rule that you're not allowed to kill each other's daughters, you know? Which is sort of what it seems like. So I think that Ben is like, not, not necessarily like just taunting Kimi. He like genuinely wants to know. So he knows exactly how mad he's supposed to be at Widmore right now. I think. Yeah. Mm, which ties into something for the spoiler section from the episode I watched accidentally that we'll loop back around. <laughs> yeah. <to>. Okay, perfect. <laughs> So they hear Lapidus trying to get his handcuffs off with the pliers. And Kimi's like, uh, how did he get that toolbox? And Lapidus is like, ah, damn it. Hey, guys. Hey. And Kimi's like, who gave you the toolbox? And he's yelling in his face. And it's very funny. He does this thing where he goes, hey. And he yells really loud and goes, hey. And um, that's how I talk to my dog when he's doing something bad. So that just, that was really visceral for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, what are you doing? Quit it. So suddenly Kate comes running out of the jungle and they're like, who are you? And she says, I'm Kate. And Kimi says, why are you running? Kate says she's being chased by Ben's people. And Kimi's going to get the guys ready and grabs Kate and brings her down near Ben. <sighs> guys, my question. Do you think that if she wasn't a hot lady, he would have just killed her? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I but I think that. I think that was strategic. I think when she came out mm, with her absolutely. hands up like that, the, again, you know, Rambo, like toxic masculinity guy, I think she 100%. was playing up a bit. And, and she, she has done this a few times. Like the women sometimes do where like to, to take advantage of a, like mm -hmm. of a particular kind of guy who thinks of a particular kind of way, sort of like Kate in particular. Yeah. Pre yeah. Pretend to be more helpless than you are to like buy yourself or buy somebody else a second's worth of time. Like I'm just a girl. Don't hurt me. And then like, it, but I don't know how to use a gun. I, gee golly. I can't possibly be a threat. And then it gives you <laughs> yeah. just enough or gives somebody else just enough of a window to do something strategic in that moment that he's hesitating that like even the worst dudes in the world will often sometimes just because of ingrained misogyny be like, well, I don't mm -hmm. want to hurt a woman. It's like a whole thing, you know? And so I think that she, right. I always find it really enjoyable when she does that because it's like, she could like kick any of your asses. And so when she pretends 100%. to be like, yeah. I'm just a dumb girl hostage, it's always like, with a, it's always interesting to sort of see like, okay, so how many steps ahead have you gamed this out? Mm -hmm. Right, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why they sent Kate and not Saeed. Exactly. You know, and like Saeed needs to be fighting, you know. Saeed, they would have just shot. Yeah. Right, exactly. And like, that's the thing, like you were saying, like damsel in distress is totally a thing for these dudes. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're like, oh no, we have to help this woman. And he goes and he grabs her and he asks another woman to like get on her knees right in front of him. And like, I deeply hate you, sir. Mm -hmm. Like we hated it when it was Alex. I hate it now. Like, why do we have to say it like that? And it's like, ugh, it's gross. Yeah. I hate it. Hey! How do you get the toolbox? Damn. Who gave you the toolbox, Frank? Who, uh... Hey! Whoa, 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 you're good right there. Who are you? I'm Kate. 
I'm one of the passengers of flight 815. Why are you running? I'm being chased by his people. Coco, liqueur, red fern on flank. Come here. Hey. Get on your knees. Hands above your head, both of you. He's really the worst. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, like Kevin is incredible the way he plays Kimi because like you watch interviews with him and you're like, aw, a sunshine, a little sunshine rainbow. And then you watch the show and it's like, Ugh. horrible. Like <laughs> acting. <laughs> so they start hearing like these whispers, which is, you know, indicative of the others. Um, but unfortunately there are no transcripts available on Lostpedia. So I can't tell you what the whispers say, even though that's like Part of my favorite thing about the whispers is going to look and see what people have discovered are inside of them. I got nothing for you for these ones. I'm so sorry. And then a big fight breaks out. On the commentary, Damon said, This is one of my favorite scenes. What I love about our finales, we love to do big action sequences actually really early in the finale. Season 3 finale, you had the others storming the beach camp, getting blown up by dynamite in Act 1. But you do this big action set piece, and it's almost like you neutralize the bad guy at the beginning of the show, so the audience goes, wow, like, what's next? And obviously, Ben will put a very nice point on that at the end of this act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how they do that. I think that's cool that it's like... And because then that gives you that feeling of relief of like, the good guys won. They took back the helicopter. You have that moment of like, everything's going to be okay. But then, yeah, there's 20 more minutes of finale and then a whole other episode. So you, so you logically, you know, like, this can't be the end. But you feel like that sense of sort of a temporary, like, you know, okay, we can exhale now. Like they, you know, we get the big fight out of Absolutely. the way and then like the good guys defeat the bad guys. Exactly. It's like when you're reading a romance novel and then they're, they finally get together and you're like, oh, what's the rest of this book supposed to be? Wait, what's, why are there, why are there a hundred more pages? <laughs> For why? You know? So one of the dudes gets stunned with the stun gun. So you like definitely know that it's the others. That's who they're working with because we've seen them use that before. Kate grabs Ben and they start running. Uh, Kimi's going to chase after them, but then a grenade lands right next to him. And um, if you watch like the Lost on Location, you can see they took it took them quite a few shots to get that close up right because they had to like throw it in just the right spot and they needed to like it needed to like roll in the right spot too. So Kimi kicks it to Omar, killing his best friend? Question mark. And I always just thought. Like, who is this monster who would, like, kill his own best friend? But I do wonder, having watched it a couple days ago, I was like, did he just kick it anywhere? I... And now... Yeah. Yeah. That was... And now he just blames the others for killing Omar? Mm -hmm. That was sort of how it landed to me, was he was just like... Because, like, you can see the anger on his face when that happened. A visceral yeah. instinct of, get it away from me, get it away from me. The end result of which is that it killed somebody else, but he's not going to take any responsibility for that. Oh yeah, he's literally like, no, you're completely right because you can see it on his face that he's not, that he, like Omar blows up and Kimi's just like, those people killed Omar, right. even though he's the one who <laughs> kicked the grenade at Omar, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that makes sense that he's like so delusional that he's like, you killed him. Yeah. You know, so he's chasing them through the jungle and Ben unfortunately is not really keeping up and he falls down. Kate tries to get him up and as Kimi approaches, Saeed attacks him, and they fall down and they do a pretty cool fight. And Saeed ends up stabbing him fairly similar to where he stabbed Sawyer in season one, but in like the back instead of the front. Um, so that's kind of a cool parallel. That's sort of like in the middle of a fight, Saeed gets a stab in. Kimi tries to suffocate Saeed with a tree branch on his throat, but then Kimi gets shot three times from behind by Richard. And the others emerge from the jungle. Kimi looks dead, 
but he's not. Is he pretending? No. Question mark? I... Did he get knocked out? That was... Well, so I... He he to like to skip ahead a little bit. He he references mm-hmm. in the scene where he's like you know sort of come out come out wherever you are with Locke and Ben. Yeah, you know that he was obviously he was wearing a bulletproof vest. And sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, again, all I know about these things is from other television shows. But my understanding is that like even if you're if you're wearing a bulletproof vest and you're like shot at point blank close range like the bullet doesn't go through you but you still take like a hell of an impact blow Mm -hmm. so my assumption was absolutely like that's probably sufficient to at least briefly knock you unconscious especially if you like you hit your head going down Mm -hmm. and and that he so and but then like as soon as he regains consciousness then he like wakes up and charges up but then that explains why he's like a notch behind right yeah for sure and like i mean we should have maybe even seen it coming because at the beginning i believe in 402 uh ben tries to shoot charlotte and she lives because she's wearing Mm -hmm. a bulletproof vest you know so it's like this is obviously stuff that they're that they're doing he gets shot in the back and then falls onto his face do we think that he got knocked out because then that's takes from our knockout counter which is one of our segments do do you think he got knocked out i i thought that he got knocked out that was how i interpreted it yeah i want to say yes he has to have right yeah he has to have, right? Okay, cool. I agree. So there's this sort of like weird look between Kate and Saeed as she's helping him up. And I, I'm i trying to decide, I was trying to decide what it means. Like, are they like, I hate that we're working for the others in this moment, like looking at each other. We're both scared that he almost died. Like, I don't know what that look was, but. Um, it was also a little sexy, I thought. Like there was, for like a brief little, it, like, right? sometimes like, like, like just deep, intense eye contact. I was just like, oh, there's like a, there's a frisson of intensity happening here. And yeah, and since it wasn't kind of mm-hmm. quite clear what it was, it was just like a moment of sort of like intense, sustained, meaningful eye contact. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know about it. Well, it was originally supposed to be them. I know. When Jack originally died in the pilot, like it was supposed to be Kate and Saeed. Ugh. So I was like, yeah, every time we get Kate and Saeed crumbs, I'm like, hello, what's going on here? I know. They're so great. Just individually and yeah. together, what a great pair. But yeah, but the, there was a little, yeah. there were, and there was a few moments, like she she does it with Ben and then she does it again with, with Saeed where it's like the kind of unspoken communication around the fighting I thought was really cleverly done. It's like everyone is sort of sending mm-hmm. each other wordless little signals. Yeah. So Ben says, thanks Richard. And Ben goes over and asks Kate to cut him free. And she does. And it's a very big symbolic moment where she sort of like thinks about it for a second. And then she does. And um, just like, you know, the history between these two characters, even like, you know, Ben and the survivors in general, but even just Ben and Kate. I mean, at the beginning of season three, she was in handcuffs and she was his prisoner. You know what I mean? Um, And they had like breakfast together at the beginning of season three. But like, so the fact that he was the prisoner and she set him free was like a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. So Ben asks Richard, hey, what was the deal? And Richard said, they help us and we let them off the island. And Ben's like, ugh, okay, fine. Yeah, so you can have the helicopter. I hope you and Saeed have a good ride. And Kate goes, oh, so we can just go? And Ben's like, yeah. And, you know, he does sort of like, I sort of expect every single time I watch this, the subtext is just you and Saeed though. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that the subject, that the yeah. subtext is, but Jack's not going and Sawyer's not going 
and nobody else is going, just you and Saeed, because that's who he made the deal with, you know? Yeah. And it never really comes back, which is interesting. That that was how I felt like he was implying it, too. It wasn't just like, yeah, yeah no, you have the helicopter, go find all your friends. He was just like, yeah, I hope you two specifically, like, yeah, yeah have mm-hmm. a good trip. These right. two people, the only two, just you two, one and two, two and one, that's it. <laughs> nobody else. You're still like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like Ben being like, oh, well, I guess that's the end of the conflict of the show. Right. Have fun, guys. Bye. You know, well, and it does make you wonder a little bit like, is it sort of a tiny bit prophetic, right? Like, is the implication mm-hmm. that their attempt to take more people is why it goes wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Yeah, possibly, possibly. On the commentary, Damon said, so basically you're just 15 minutes into the show. Ben has said, that's it. The audience is thinking, they beat the bad guy. Where do we go from here? And that really enabled us to focus on character. We thought it was cool to basically put the big action sequence up front, which Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Very cool. Yeah. 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 So Hurley and Sawyer are just waiting outside of the greenhouse watching Jack and Locke through the binoculars. And Sawyer says, what are they talking about? And Hurley says, probably like leader stuff. I don't know. (laughs) I love that that. little moment. As you do. And with the crackers too. With the crackers. Oh, and like, you know, in... Season three, um, in Left Behind, I believe, Hurley's like, well, Jack's not here and Locke's not here. So Sawyer, that means you're the leader. And so the fact that Jack and Locke are here and Sawyer's just like, Kate, back in my yeah. backseat. <laughs> I'll just be back here now. You guys do the hard stuff. Love that. Thanks. I love that. So Sawyer sees the crackers and asks where he got, he got them. And Hurley says that Ben dug them up out of the ground. And Sawyer's like, that does not seem suspicious at all. I will absolutely have some of these crackers. <laughs> sure. Yum. Stale. So Hurley says, hey, thanks for coming back for me. And Sawyer goes, oh, shucks. No problem. Like Sawyer's like, I'm not going to have this like little moment with you. I'm just going to say, meh, whatever. doesn't matter. It's fine. It's cute. He he is so that. like allergic to showing his emotions, but or, or not mm-hmm. even that. He, he, he shows his emotions through doing stuff, but he doesn't ever want to talk about them. Yeah. Right. And like, I love, there's another universe in which like an earlier version of Sawyer would have been like, oh, I didn't even come back for you. Like Jack's the one who said that you, we should go mm-hmm. back for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so the fact that he was just like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. Like he in that was admitting that he did he does care about Hurley and he came back for him, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think one of the things that I really love about you know, I mean, obviously, like, and we've talked about this before, and I know you guys have talked about this before. Like, it is a it's an ensemble that is like weighted more heavily just in percentages towards male characters and male male absolutely and female characters. But one thing that I think is really beautiful about that is like, is all the different, like, like that these men love each other so much and like in very different mm-hmm. ways, often very complicated, different ways of expressing it. But like, there are so many distinct layers of like soul deep male friendships. And Hurley really is mm-hmm. one of the characters that like, Every line runs through Hurley. Everybody has a connection mm-hmm. to Hurley and he's like beloved and everyone wants to protect him. People listen to him. People trust him. And so it, it does feel right that like even for people like Sawyer that are pricklier and like harder to sort of show their soft underbelly with everybody else in the ensemble that it's like no one, not even Hurley, like absolutely nobody is going to save their own skin over like leaving Hurley to die. He's like the one yeah. person that it's like oh. everybody absolutely unquestionably is like yeah we have to go back for Hurley and I just I love that mm-hmm. we have to go back we have, we to. have to go back yeah 
I love that moment. It's so understated, but like, look at that growth. Yeah. Look at it. I love it. It's so good. And so Hurley goes, how are Claire and the baby? Are they okay? Mm. And so he's sort of like, about that. Let's cut away and do a different <laughs> scene. So I don't have to tell you. <laughs> so Jack is like, okay, you wanted to talk to me? Talk. And Locke says, yes, please reconsider leaving. I would like you to stay. And Jack goes, oh, you would like me to? Oh boy. Okay. I like, I love how calm and collected Locke stays in this scene, mm -hmm. but I also feel like so many of the things that Jack is saying are like fairly valid, to be honest. Oh yeah. You know, like, and I feel like he feels patronized by Locke as well, by the way that like, you know, it just makes so much sense for Jack to fly off the handle and like get angry and Locke for to just stay calm. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel like the more calm Locke is, the more angry it makes Jack. Fully. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, they just work together so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, as characters, not as yeah. people. It's really bad as people. Yeah. Well, but I I mean, that's such a thing. That's like, like, honestly, like, a personal pet peeve of mine, like, when I'm upset about something and the person that I'm upset with is being, like, extra calm, so then, like, you mm -hmm. sound like the crazy person because you're getting, right. like, more and more intense and frustrated, and they're like, wow. I don't know. I don't know why you're so upset. And you're like, because you're making me crazy. Gosh, I do. Yeah. And like, even if you're right, and even if logic is on your side, you're the one that sounds unhinged because the other person has like mm -hmm. modulated their tone in that maddening way. So I did enjoy that. But I, I also got like, yeah. it's such a, they're so peak man of science, man of faith here. Like, like two to like the most possible extreme because like like he is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jack is so completely focused on the most like pragmatic goal possible which is like escape is now feasible we just have to do it like we just have to yeah. like get to the helicopter like come or don't come but like I'm taking Sawyer and Hurley and we're getting out of here like I like there's no counter argument that could possibly make sense to Jack it's like everything has been leading towards this moment where a helicopter mm -hmm. is finally within our grasp so we can leave this godforsaken place what are you doing and yeah. and then Locke is also like you know in, in some ways like he imagines himself like closer than he has ever been to this like transcendence, unlocking the secrets, like discovering mm -hmm. like, you know, meaning and connection and that he wants to sort of be partners with Jack in that. And, and so it's like, you're just never going to, they're never going to be on the same page. They're never going to agree, but they're both like closer to their own goal than they've ever been in like the four preceding seasons. So like the stakes have never been higher for either of them. And it's just like, yeah. So it's just this, I mean, the scene is so good and they're both just like so charismatic, but it really felt like, Oh, you're both like peak the thing that you are like yeah. dialed all the way up and and therefore like you're not even speaking the same language to each other right yeah fully like th that's why it's so funny that like jack is like fine talk to me and Locke goes yes please could you reconsider leaving i want you to stay and jack goes oh boy well if you want me to i guess i'll do whatever you want <laughs> you know and so he's like, dude, you killed an unarmed woman by throwing a knife into her back. You got half of our people killed. And Locke goes, okay, you put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. <laughs> Haven't we both done stuff? <laughs> and it's like very interesting also that like Jack's examples like sort of affect everybody. And Locke is like, here's how you've wronged me personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, 
Like, Locke's like, well, what, what have I done to you specifically, though? You know what I mean? Hmm. So he goes, well, we've all made mistakes, so why don't we just, like, forgive each other? And Jack goes, yeah, no. Like, you can stay, but we're all going. And Locke goes, well, you're not supposed to. And Jack goes, oh, what am I supposed to do? Oh, right, because this was all of our destiny? And Locke goes, you know that's true. And I love this, you know, it reminds me of that one um, part at the beginning of season two where he says, like, Jack goes, why do you find it so easy? And Locke goes, it's never been easy. You know, it's hard to have faith. And I make that decision every single day. He has that conviction in that scene, in this scene, you know? Yeah. So he goes, you know, that's true. You know, you're here for a reason. I know that you can feel it. And if you leave, that will haunt you until you decide to come back. And Jack goes, yeah, whatever, as if, right? And we know that he's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. know that he was right. So Locke goes, okay, if I can't convince you to stay, you have to lie to everybody about everything that happened here to protect this island. And Jack goes, it's an island. It doesn't need protecting. Mm-hmm. And Locke says, it's not just an island. It's a place where miracles happen. And if you can't believe that, then you just have to, we'll just, I guess we'll just wait to see who ends up being correct, you know, because Locke knows that something, a miracle happened for him and a miracle happened for Rose, you know, mm-hmm. it's a place where miracles happen. So Jack says there's no such thing as miracles. But the rest of us are going home. But you're not supposed to go home. And what am I supposed to do? Well, I think I remember. What was it that you said on the way out to the hatch? That crashing here was our destiny. You know, Jack. You know that you're here for a reason. You know it. And if you leave this place, that knowledge is going to eat you alive from the inside out. Until you decide to come back. Goodbye, John. You're going to have to lie. Excuse me? If you have to go, then you have to lie about everything. Everything that happened since we got to the island. It's the only way to protect it. It's an island, John. No one needs to protect it. It's a place where miracles happen. And, and if, you, if you don't believe that, Jack, if you can't believe that, just wait till you see what I'm about to do. Something that you said, Robin, that I think is so interesting in that conversation, the, the idea that, like, you know, Locke wants to know sort of how he's wronged Jack specifically. And I think there's something mm. actually really profound in the idea that, like, Locke is sort of cataloging, you know, Jack's sins against himself, but for Jack to hurt or endanger other people, like like Jack so identifies as the leader that harming somebody else in a group over which he feels responsible does feel personal to him, is a personal wound mm. against him. And so like Locke can kind of only right, see within his own orbit, right? Like he's on a kind of one man quest of which other people are sort of guides or secondary figures or partners to him. But like, he's extremely Mm -hmm. internally focused. And so the things about which he's angry at Jack are all the moments where Jack has been an obstacle to Locke on Locke's own quest. And Jack is angry at Locke for all the things that Locke has done that have hurt the people 
people around Jack and the people that Jack Mm -hmm. has been trying to protect, trying to save, feels responsible for. And that like, to him, those things are equivalent. Like you hurt somebody in my group, you hurt me. I am the leader. I'm responsible for these people's safety. Like they were in my care in a way, you know? And so I just think it's such a, that's a perfect little distillation of, of the ways that they're different because for Jack, everything is sort of about like getting everybody else home, keeping everybody else safe, keeping everybody else alive. And for Locke, it is all about this inner journey that he's on towards like meaning and enlightenment and transcendence and like what the Island means to him. And Jack's like a figure on that journey, but like their primary places that they butt heads are where like Jack is an obstacle towards Locke getting what Locke wants. Right. And like you said, like, you know, Jack is being a an obstacle on Locke's quest, but Jack's quest is relevant to everybody. Like it's to get everybody home. Yeah. Jack's quest is to get everybody off the island. Right. So when Locke does something against everybody else, Jack takes it as a personal attack. You're totally right. So Ben shows up and Jack points his gun at him and Ben goes, nice to see you too, asshole. (laughs) you're the coolest but he just walks right past him does not care that a gun is being pointed at him at all and i love this line so much it's my favorite line award spoiler alert but like when ben's like well clearly you're not in the orchid so i guess you couldn't find the anthuriums and Locke is like i don't know what anthuriums look like how am i supposed to like people don't just know what anthuriums look like right and so when he goes over there in ben's defense the time for Locke to have pointed that out was last episode when he received those instructions (laughs) like you didn't even tell me what color they were like how am I supposed to know? And like Ben finds them with like the most condescending look. That was, it was really funny. You know? And Locke is like, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. You're smarter about flowers than me. Like, so anyway, they're so funny. Like Locke and Ben have had so much like time butting heads about like these large concepts and these large like reasonings. And like, now they're like sort of working together, but still butting heads, but it's about flowers now. Yeah. It's great. Like, oh, it's the best. It's great. So there's a secret elevator in and Locke is like, I don't know why you think I know what flowers look like. And Jack goes, what is happening right now? And Ben goes, well, you didn't tell him what the plan was. And Locke goes, I tried. I love these two as allies. I'm sorry. I love them so much as allies working together. It's so good. It's so good. So Ben says, uh, Jack, Saeed and Kate are waiting for you with a helicopter and people from the beach are already being brought to the freighter right now. So did they, I guess they just left Kimi's body there. And then when he woke up, he just got up and walked away. Sure. That was sort of how I interpreted it. It was like, all right, bold choice, but fine. <laughs> Kimi like wakes up alone in the jungle and is like, well, whatever. <laughs> like, man. And, and and this is interesting. It's like, we didn't really learn because this is the same thing that happened to Naomi at the beginning of this season where we, she was dead and then like maybe healed by the island or something. Like, I think Naomi was sort of healed by the island potentially and then like was able to get up and walk away and sneak off. But like, I'm not sure why... Kimi would have been healed by the island. Yeah. Like why the island would have chosen Kimi as a person. To I can't Kimi. imagine. I, it feels like he's deliberately working against what the island like wants and I needs. I don't think it was the island. Yeah. I don't think so because... I think it was just straight yeah. up the bulletproof bag. I think that's something that he could have survived anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 It is also, by the way, the moment where the elevator starts to creak and come back down again before you find Mm -hmm. out who's in it 
when you're sort of yeah. cycling through in your mind all the people that it could be and you assume Kimi's dead so he is not on your mental yeah. list of suspects is an amazing yeah. scary moment right mm-hmm. like even it just starting to go back up uh-huh you're like Bugh. terrifying because it's like somebody's here yeah you i have nowhere to go yes i'm down so far there's nowhere to hide yep yeah that was i was very tense you know oh it's so scary you're totally right <laughs> mm-hmm. so jack is like what and ben is like bro i don't have time to tell you everything so like you guys get moving you go get on that boat within the hour bye we're leaving so he gets in the elevator and Locke is like jack you need to lie and if you do it half as well as you lie to yourself it'll work yikes absolute arson Sick the burn. burn like jack it's a good thing jack's a doctor so that he can heal his own burn there because that was that was that one hurt that one hurt and like you know Locke thinks that this is Locke and jack both think this is the last time they'll probably ever see each other period you know like oh woof so Locke and ben go down the elevator as jack like watches on the commentary damon said we were literally trying to convince terry and michael to just do the old escalator behind the couch gag where they would crouch in an effort to sell that they were disappearing but Jack Bender quite cleverly sort of got in there and had the cameraman just like squat on the last shot. So you get the sensation you were descending into the earth, but the elevator actually doesn't move, at least up at the top there. So that's pretty cool. Um, but I think that they should have done the escalator behind the couch gag. That would have been <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So they go down the elevator and I guess they've been in there for a while. And so Locke goes, how long does this take? And they finally get down and Locke says, is this the magic box you were talking about last season? And Ben's like, no, shut up. This is like not the moment for that right now. We're not joking. <laughs> so Locke goes, what is all this for? And Ben goes, silly experiments, just like all of the other stations. And, you know, it's so interesting hearing about it from somebody who was actually part of the Dharma Initiative. And it's interesting that Ben, growing up in the Dharma Initiative, didn't actually believe in any of the things that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Really. You know, like, it's weird because he under he believes in Jacob and he believes in being able to move the island, but he doesn't believe in the experiments the Dharma Initiative was doing or something. Like, huh, interesting. Yeah, he draws the line at electromagnetism. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. And I mean, he's like time traveling bunnies, but right. And I'm just like, you're you can you're going to move the island, though, like. But by the way, that poor okay. bunny, I, I, you know, yeah. the minute it's like. You know, the video starts playing of like, you know, Sinister Man petting Bunny in Sinister Manor and it's got like a 15 painted on it. You're like, something's going to happen to that yeah. bunny that I do not like. Uh-oh. It had big like Jurassic Park goat energy. Yeah, right. So Locke goes, like, what kind of silly experiments? And Ben goes, I don't have time for this. So why don't you just watch the orientation tape? Locke loves an orientation tape. So he's so happy to do that. (laughs) So it's the orientation video for the orchid. And it has Edgar Hallowax, which is another candle themed name for this guy. I believe this is the third name that we've gotten for him. (laughs) And it's different every time. And it's always candle themed. That's funny. Uh, Hallowax is the name that was on Ben's coat that we saw in the flash forwards in... The Shape of Things to Come. Yeah, I think. Pretty sure. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so it's like, yeah. Oh, I have thoughts on this in the spoiler section, actually. But never mind. So Station 6 is the Orchid. And it says 6 of 6, which makes you think it's like the last one. But we know that there's more than that many stations. So maybe it's just the last orientation video. And there mm. just aren't orientation videos for the other ones, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, the rabbit has a 15 on it. And it turns out it's not actually a 
Botanical Research Unit, um, the unique properties of the islands have created a Casimir effect. So the Casimir effect is the attractive force between two uncharged metal plates that are placed very near to each other in a vacuum. The attraction arises due to a reduction in the energy of the ground state of the electromagnetic field between the two plates. Because fluctuations in the field between the plates can only have wavelengths equal to or smaller than the distance between the plates, the vacuum electromagnetic field has less energy between the plates than outside of them. It has been suggested that the Casimir forces have application in nanotechnology, in particular silicon integrated circuit technology based based wait circuit technology based circuit technology based micro and nano electromagnetic mechanical systems and so-called casimir oscillators i don't think i understood a sentence of that whole thing <laughs> nope no clue what that means so i'm just gonna have to take his word for it no idea so anyway he says we can conduct experiments in space and time okay that i understand so he says the vault is next to negatively charged exotic matter so there should be no inorganic materials inside the chamber because energy can be unpredictable. So you should never put metal objects in the vault ever. <laughs> and Ben is putting a metal trash can in the vault and just a bunch of metal things. And Locke's face goes, um, hold on. I'm putting two things together here, which is that that's not supposed to happen. It's so funny. That was hilarious. It's so good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite reaction shots in the entire series, if not oh, my favorite. It's so the reaction shot's so good. <laughs> truly, truly. So he says, "We're gonna do a demonstration to shift a rabbit a hundred milliseconds into the future." But then the tape starts like rewinding and stops working and Locke panics. But at some point, Locke just gives up, can't fix it, so he just goes over to Ben again and he goes, "Um, hey." And Ben goes, yeah, before you ask, he was talking about time traveling bunnies. <laughs> I hear you. So Locke goes, right, yeah, but he said no metal stuff in there and you're putting a bunch of metal stuff in there. And Ben just like silently nods and Locke is like, okay, that didn't answer my question at all, but okay, sure. That's when the elevator starts going back up to get somebody else and Ben asks for his weapon back. And like you said, this would be so scary like how did kimi find the elevator down that means they just didn't close it right like damn it jack can you like put could you at least have closed the door you know or he knew where to look for the anthuriums i was gonna say maybe maybe that maybe kimi was a botany major and maybe and he heard he knows what anthuriums look like <laughs> i'm just like you know they were there before waiting for ben to show up so it's like if they knew how to get into the orchid they would have mm -hmm. done while they were waiting for Ben. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I just think that something weird happened there. He, he must have just assumed. Well, I mean, we all assumed Kimi was dead. So right. presumably. Right. Sure, sure, sure. They were like, maybe like we don't have to like, you know, cover our tracks behind us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they just rookie mistake. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, on Lostpedia, it said Jack and Sawyer trek from the chopper to the orchid while Kimi's team escorts Ben from the orchid to the chopper. They never cross paths. Then, Jack, Sawyer, and Hurley trek back from the orchid to the chopper while a wounded Kimi pursues an escaped Ben from the chopper to the orchid and still no one crosses anyone else's path. So that mm. is a little bit like, mm. hmm, what happened there? But I'll allow it for the sake of 
the show. <laughs> so Hurley, Sawyer, and Jack get back to the chopper. And they're happy to see Saeed and Kate. And, you know, Sawyer jokes that Kate killed the dudes. And Kate goes, I didn't kill that one. And Sawyer goes, which one did you kill? And I'm like, stop flirting about dead people. You guys are making it weird. <laughs> but of course, Kate is like on her way to Jack. Does a little flirting with Sawyer because he flirts with her first. And then she goes back over Jack straight to business because he's so boring and they start talking about like the baby and everything and you know she's like checking on him and she asks if he's okay and he says I am now and of course Sawyer is like <laughs> gross he's like I was just flirting with you though clearly her her priorities have gone to Jack at this point so Sawyer calls uh Lapidus Kenny Rogers um after the bearded country singer and he's like why are you picking the lock how about a hacksaw and lock or and lapidus goes for the handcuffs and not my hand hopefully (laughs) i love that they can't get the handcuffs off until sawyer because of course sawyer knows how to take them off Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure he's been in a bunch of handcuffs that he had to get off by himself a bunch of times but i also feel like and i don't think sawyer was there but like when Jin had that handcuff around his wrist I'm pretty sure that Locke got it off with a hacksaw. Oh. In the, in the, um, in the hatch. That's just how Lost the show suggests that anybody who is in handcuffs they don't want to be in frees themselves. Step one, find hacksaw. Mm-hmm. I know that something like, like, they have to get handcuffs off in a, in like a makeshift way again at some point in season six, but I don't remember how. <laughs> So Jack goes, Saeed, how did you get back? Weren't you like literally on the freighter? And Saeed says, yeah, there was a Zodiac raft from the freighter that I took. Jack goes, is it safe there? Like a body washed up from the freighter. So, you know, is it safe to go to the freighter? And Saeed goes, oh, now it's safe because Kimi's dead. <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> and you're like, right, yeah. sure. Not like there's a bomb or anything. It's like, you're wrong on several different levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your information is out of date. Right, exactly. So Lapidus gets set free from the cuffs and he's like, yay, let's go. And so he goes, let's go, Freckles. I'm done with this place. No, 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 no. He does not say, yay, let's go. (laughs) Okay. There is something. There's a fire in his eyes (laughs) when he's free. And it is something so special to me. (laughs) It's so important. In fact, I I am. (laughs) I just wanted to say it's really special and important the way he says, yeah. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. He's like, I love flying helicopters and I want to do it for you and I don't want to be around this place anymore. It's so good. I would watch hours of just him and Sawyer getting up to all sorts of nonsense. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So everyone gets on the helicopter and by now you're like, yay. And then your heart is dropping because this is four of the Oceanic Six. The other two are already on the freighter. So we have four of the Oceanic Six plus Lapidus and Sawyer. So you're like, so what happens to Sawyer? You know, mm-hmm. Hurley says, can we come back for Claire later? And Jack goes, yes, of course. And they take off and go. You know, I do think that Jack in some way is like, yes, we, you know, we want to save Claire. But I also think that part of Jack is like, let's just start with getting everybody else off. And if we can't end up coming back for Claire, then that's just how it has to be. Mm-hmm. So the elevator comes back down. And it's freaking Keeney. And he's alive and he's here now with a freaking knife. And they have the like orientation video in the background. Hallowax talking creepily in the background. And Keeney calls for Ben and he says, I know you're just waiting to take a shot at me. Well, you should aim for the head. Not like your boyfriend who shot me in the back like a coward. (laughs) Richard, his boyfriend, question mark. I did enjoy that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he says, you know, body armor has no been known to take a bullet before. And, you know, like I said, Charlotte survived two bullets literally earlier this season. So we maybe should have saw it coming. So he shows a little arm device thing that we saw getting put on him a couple episodes ago. And he says it's a life insurance policy. But before you take your shot, Ben, let me tell you about this. See that? I took out a bit of a, uh, a life insurance policy, Ben. It's a heart rate monitor. And it's connected to a radio transmitter. We call it a dead man's trigger, Ben. My heart stops beating, sends a little signal to the 500 pounds of C4 that I've got hardwired out there on the freighter. That'd kill a lot of innocent people, Ben. On Lostpedia, it said, Kimi says a signal from his heart monitor will detonate the explosives on the boat as soon as no heartbeat is detected, but no radio transmitter is capable of broadcasting a signal from that deep underground. So it's like, I wonder if, like, realistically, as soon as he went underground, it would have gone off. Ooh, well, suspension of disbelief. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Kimi goes, you know, I'm not bluffing. Remember how I, you know, killed your daughter earlier? So definitely come out and yell at me. I'm like, did you practice this speech on your way down, bud? <laughs> How did it go? It was very dramatic. Yeah. A plus monologuing. In the commentary, Damon said, Now Kimi basically has explained to us the dead man's trigger, which we set up a couple episodes prior to this. And there's something interesting about processing the story beat, which is, is it actually part of the secondary protocol to blow up the boat if he fails in his mission? Is he following Widmore's order or orders or has he gone so crazy himself that he's done this? That's a question you should be asking yourself as we roll into season five. Hmm. I always thought that that was a Kimi original, personally. Now, I, since I didn't watch this one, what do we see when he has it being put on him? Like, what are, what are the circumstances yeah. of that? So basically, Lapidus is, like, pulling um, Michael out of, like, the sort of brig that he's been put in, um, being like, why didn't you not tell me you were a member of, or, like, you were a survivor of Oceanic? And as they're leaving, they, like, look over, and Omar is, like, fitting it onto Kimi's arm, and then they close the door. Okay. So it was sort of implicitly mm -hmm. happening, kind of maybe in secret or covertly, and not explained. Mm -hmm. Because if so, then that... Yeah, so I was always... Mm -hmm. Then that does make it seem like it was just a thing that he came up with, because he's deeply chaotic and horrible yeah yeah i wonder if it's just like if he's not going to get the money from widmore then he's going to like blow up widmore's boat yeah. or something if i go down i'm taking everybody with me like i don't know i don't even know what the reason would yeah. be for him to really do that or like where he was keeping the c4 even like i'm not sure but yeah like the fact that all that c4 is on board almost feels like it is part of widmore's idea and like why would omar help him with that like i don't know i'm actually not sure i'm not sure so he hears something and he wheels around to see Locke and Kimi goes, who are you? And Locke says, I'm Locke. <laughs> it is actually funny. I have no conflict with you. Mm -hmm. This far into the show that there are still people who don't know Locke. <laughs> Right, right, for sure. Well, that's the thing. Is I say this every episode, but they are so good at, like, you're like, okay, it's a deserted island. Mm -hmm. And then every single season, they bring in more people, and it makes sense and is totally organic how they bring them in. Mm -hmm. I'm just impressed by that mm -hmm. every single time. But yeah, yeah, that is funny. So Locke goes, hi, I'm Locke. I have no conflict with you, and neither do the people on the boat, so you should put your knife down so we can talk. 
And Kimi goes, I'm not really much of like a talker. I don't really like (laughs) care for chatting. And then Ben like bursts out of like a locker or something and jumps on him, hitting him a bunch, takes Kimi's own knife and stabs him a million times. That's the thing is like when Kimi saw Locke originally and like wheeled around, I was like, oh my gosh, he's immediately going to shoot Locke. But Kimi doesn't have a gun. He only has that knife you know Mm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so ben is like screaming about how he killed alex and Locke is like oh my god ben no (laughs) no so the arm device beeps and yeah like i said this happens they sort of like cut this so that this is at the end of the episode in um the streaming version but the arm device like starts beeping and Locke goes dude you just killed everyone on the freighter and ben goes okay iconic mm-hmm. absolutely iconic chilling moment of ben's absolute evil doesn't care about anything but revenge moments like this is what makes ben like win that one list of like best tv villains of all time and he got number one you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's moments like this that give him yeah that. and and like i said before but sort of looking back to it like what a fascinating contrast because like compared to other characters Locke is frequently the sort of ruthlessly single-minded zealot who who inadvertently treats other characters like collateral damage on his quest and can make thoughtless and destructive decisions like that in aid of whatever he wants. And so it is a little wild, given what we know about Locke as a person in his history and especially all of the things that Jack just threw in his face, to have the flip here where Locke is the one who's like innocent people that I care about and consider friends are going to die. And somebody else even crazier than him being like YOLO. Like it's such an interesting reversal (laughs) of the Jack and Locke dynamic that like now Locke is the person in the Jack position saying like what you just did is going to cause a lot of harm to people who didn't do anything to you and who didn't deserve it. And so I just, I like that little reminder that like as, as far gone as Locke is, on his vision quest he he actually like both in talking to kimi and in talking about kimi's dead man switch to ben that we get like two really pointed reminders that the people on the boat still matter to him you know like that Mm -hmm. he he still cares what happens to those people he doesn't want harm to come to them he doesn't want them to die and like he he is in that moment in some ways kind of filling the role that Jack has so often filled up against him with somebody else, which I thought was a really interesting little flip. Yeah, and I love you and I think that you're a genius, but we just have to go back to the idea that instead of going, so Ben says YOLO instead. <laughs> I just think that they really missed out on that and the script made a mistake there. Um, that That's what it should have been. <laughs> On Lastpedia, it said Ben blows up the freighter, not caring that he killed innocent people, which is the same reason that he gave Michael why he shouldn't blow it up to begin Mm -hmm. with, is that he's going to kill innocent people. So lastly, they're flying in the air in the helicopter and the fuel starts going down really, really fast. And so everyone looks outside and Saeed sees fuel leaking from the side of the helicopter. Um, So a bullet must have hit the tank. And I had brought this up a couple of episodes ago, but I always thought that it was like Galt's Captain. Galt's stray bullet that like hit the tank that that did this but they didn't have this problem on the way there so maybe it was just a bullet from the fight that's what I which is kind of like too bad yeah I liked the idea that it was Galt's stray bullet because he shot and we just never knew where it went but yeah but then then it feels Mm -hmm. like I mean like 
I guess it's it's a tiny bit unrealistic regardless because like they don't notice it immediately. Like they they only notice it sort of like when they're over the water, like at the worst imaginable mm. time. It doesn't it's not like the second they start taking off, he's like, Oh, weird. The dial's like plummeting down and then you're like up in the air for right. five seconds and have to sort of step back down again. So either way it's like there's a little bit of a sort of like narratively imposed time delay on like when mm. the bullet hole manifests. But but yeah, but it, it did feel like it would have to have been something that just happened otherwise like how did the helicopter get there and and then how did all the fuel not just leak out onto the grass exactly. while it was yeah. sitting there right you know yeah and i was like oh it's just too bad because i like i really thought that i wanted it to be like this really significant bullet yeah that, like it like sort of came from when galt got killed circle closing yeah yeah so i don't yeah. know maybe in my brain i'll think that he like sort of nicked it and then this made mm. it worse or something i don't know but <laughs> i just i want that gal- that bullet to have been important yeah. but maybe it's just not so lapidus goes okay we have to put down the chopper and jack goes no there's no fuel on the island we need to get to the boat or there is no point and lapidus goes okay well i don't see the boat and so like we might not get either of our things if we don't like make a decision so we need to get all the extra weight off of the chopper now like literally everything and so they're just throwing litter into the ocean as well as all the fuel that's going into the ocean not so good yikes Mm-hmm. So Jack goes, okay, is that enough? And Lapidus goes, eh, I would really love to have to be a few hundred pounds lighter. And then that's when we get the shot of Hurley. That was the one thing in the episode that I actively disliked. <laughs> I was like, yes, please speak mm-hmm. on it. I, boy, that is a have loved hearing from you. Crappy editing moment. You have like this horrible, this love, like this incredible, um what's the word like insight into um some of the like microaggressions that hurley goes through and i love hearing you talk about it it i mean it's 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 one of the things that i just feel like you know the the again you you have to <laughs> i i know it sounds weird about a show that is only from the 2000s but you have to look at these shows as period pieces now to a certain extent right. because our yeah. language around this stuff has changed so much so rapidly just in the mm-hmm. past few years like a show being made right. now that had a that had a fat plus size, larger body, kind of whatever language you choose. I say fat, it's fine. But like a show that has a fat character, like made now, it would be a lot harder to get away with some of these same moments because you're like, mm-hmm. you like immediately, you know, like everyone on the internet's going to scream at us. And people still do. Like, you know, yeah. people still have missteps, but you wouldn't have running, running jokes or running little bits and things like that. Like they don't serve the plot at all. Like there, there isn't, mm-hmm. there are moments in the story and I, and this is as a fat person, I'm fine with this. There are moments in the story where, the body that Hurley lives in matters to the plot in some way. Sometimes there are things he can't do. Sometimes everyone's running and he can't keep up and that affects the danger that he's in or the stakes for him. And that's real. Like that's just bodies are different. It's the same with like an older character or a child who can't run as fast. Like there's times where it's just realistic Mm -hmm. and that's not a microaggression at all. But there's times where when somebody says something that is like just a kind of benign depersonalized statement, like the amount of weight that this helicopter can carry, like it's just it's just physics, right? It's just fuel. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a mathematical formula 
of the weight of the thing, the fuel it takes to carry it. There's no reason why anything had to be directed at a person, except like we're throwing like we're throwing off cargo. You know, you see like big heavy metal crates, all of you sort of nickel and diming their way, trying to get it down to more manageable weight, where it's just purely like a a freight consideration. And that then, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, but like then the solution being like, okay, no, we're like one whole person over. And then like Sawyer chooses to jump. Like, like you can get there. You can get to all of the little beats that you need without like the shot wasn't necessary at all, except Mm -hmm. to remind the audiences like, oh, if Hurley wasn't that, they wouldn't be in danger. Like that felt like the implication, which I just found so offensive. Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. like to sit us for that moment in Hurley's own like discomfort and, and misery and like the guilt that he's feeling of like shame in his own body. If this doesn't go down and we don't do it, mm-hmm. then it's my fault. Is it my fault? And that's a horrible, that's an awful thing to do to a fat character. It's an awful thing to do to fat audience members watching it, feeling implicitly mm-hmm. in that moment. Like if these characters die, is the implication going to be that it was a fat person's fault, which is awful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that isn't, and the thing that's like so maddening is like, that isn't what they were trying to convey at all. What they're trying to convey is right. there's nothing that you can do to get all of these people home. That's the that's the moral mm-hmm. of the story. There's no amount of, right. of boxes you can toss overboard that will fix the problem of every person on this helicopter cannot logically, due to physics, get to go home. We have to sacrifice somebody. And and them all frantically trying to make that not true by uprooting whatever is not nailed down to the helicopter as the dial spinning faster and faster and the stakes are ratcheting up higher and higher is already a really powerful kind of which of us is it going to be who's going to sacrifice themselves moment without ever at any point needing to remind you that one of them lives in a different body. Like it's just, it's so frustrating because it doesn't move the story forward. It doesn't tell us anything new about Hurley. Like it's nothing revealed in that moment. It just feels like a way to make Hurley feel bad for being fat, to make your fat audience members feel bad and to sort of plant this little implication that the reason that they're in trouble is essentially implying that like Hurley weighs as much as two people. And if he didn't, they'd all be fine. Like, it's just awful. And, and I, I'm glad at least it's brief, but it was really, I, I found it really ugly. I, I was like, I hate this and I'm angry about it on sort of my behalf and Hurley's behalf, especially because yeah. then ultimately it goes nowhere and doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you were here for this because I feel like, you know, With another guest, it's totally possible that we would have been like, man, that sucked. Anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's like, I just really appreciate hearing your your perspective. We gotta just, like, take a minute and, like, scream about it before we move on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. So Lapidus goes, we can still get to the beach. And Jack goes, do not. Like, we are not doing that. No. And, you know, of course, Hurley is sitting there being like, I, you know, Hurley's like, well, would it be better if, if I jumped, then will we even have even more of a, you know? And like, yeah, it's like Hurley is like, if, if I jumped, we would have like twice as more opportunity for like everybody to get back. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, anyway, so Sawyer whispers to Kate, 
kisses her and jumps off the helicopter into the ocean and he does this right in front of Jack's salad. <laughs> Casey, go on. Ugh, just endless squealing. I will take the end of my skate crumbs and I will take them proudly. It's for the most part over and that's okay. It's extremely over and I will hold on to the last moments with every ounce of my being. Is is this your uh, ship? You're a skate shipper? Mm-hmm. Okay. I am team Schooliet, okay? Uh-huh. The trio. Okay. Oh, okay. We get Sawyer, yeah. we get Kate, and we get Juliet. Okay. I simply mm-hmm. don't see a reason all three of them can't have a happy life together. I support it. Thank you. <laughs> it's the love square, but without Jack. Yeah. I think you're correct, a visionary. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But skate, oof, just, it does something to me. And I will take these final moments and I will hold on to them. And I will think of them fondly. Ugh, the yeah. pining. It's the pining. It's the mm. angst. It's like, I love this moment because, you know, first of all, it's like your heart drops out of your chest because you're like, I knew that. It's sort of like, you know that Sawyer isn't one of the Oceanic Six. So something must happen to Sawyer. And so then when he says, hey, we need to be a couple hundred pounds lighter. And you're sort of like sitting there and then you get that shot of Sawyer and you're like, oh my yeah. God, this is it. And you like, don't know if Sawyer is like, dead you know we you just know that he doesn't make Mm -hmm. it onto the freighter or he doesn't make it away from you know the mainland and so it's like you watch it happen and you watch him drop and it's like really big hero stuff and you think about how like what a hero he must be that he's like saving everybody else's life and oh my gosh but then it's like it's also selfish because he doesn't want to go back and he's told that to to kate before Mm -hmm. you know that he he doesn't want to go back he asks her for some sort of favor that we find out later about um and we know that because um in the flash forwards of something nice back home um you know kate is like on the phone and she's talking about how she like has been doing this errand or like favor for Sawyer and that's what get Jack gets so angry about so that's what he's telling her in this moment is what it is gotcha okay oh right we know he's asking for a favor but not what the favor yeah is. yeah and so she like does the thing that he tells her to do basically and we see him he's he's okay he comes back up and he starts swimming back to the island and you know if you like pay super good attention it said on Lostpedia like what he does say like what it appears to be what he says but maybe we could talk about that in the spoiler yeah. section actually because the closed captions often when when there's like the whispers or things like that that's decipherable the captions will put it in there and it didn't this time right. so i assumed we were not yet meant to know what the thing was yeah i think that's probably true yeah there was this thing before we end real quick there was this thing on lostpedia and I, this is like absolutely insane there's no way that this could be like purposeful but apparently <laughs> The word just has four letters. Freckles contains eight. And the entire phrase, just do it, Freckles, contains 16 letters. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Except I was like, that's crazy. But that's, that is a sure, you know, so I feel like it's like some of these might be by accident, but right. okay. Yeah. But I do. But I, sure. I, I, I like, I always really like when he calls her Freckles. So if it has mathematical yeah. significance and then that adds like a little extra we'll take it. extra weight to that cute goodbye moment, I'm good with it. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else you guys wanted to mention before we go into segments? No. I love escape. <laughs> I love them. Oh, same. It's just so angsty. So much angst. So many levels. So little time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm always really weak for like troubled man who doesn't believe he deserves the love of a good woman kind of vibe. Uh-huh. Like it's just, that's really that catnip for me. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Totally. Yes. But and that could work for skate and Sulia. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Hey guys, um, before we go into segments here, I have just a lovely little treat for you. I've been rewatching the show with my friend Meta. Um, she watched about halfway through season two, and then uh, you know she got busy and it and it just stopped and everything. And we've been going through and rewatching it, and we finished season two recently. Um, and she sent in this voice memo about how um that's been going for her. So um, enjoy. Hi, my name is Meta. Robin and I went to theater and film school together, as well as that recently we have been watching Lost together. It is my first time watching it all the way through. A few years ago when the podcast started, I actually also started watching along with the podcast, but in that time it got taken off Netflix and it was too difficult to keep up with and I wasn't as interested or involved and uh, I just kind of fell off and then we started watching uh, Riverdale Weekly. That ended and we need something else to watch. So Lost was put back on, and we restarted, and we've so far caught up to where I've seen to and have surpassed that. We just finished the season two season finale, and I mean, first of all, so many thoughts. But one of the things that stood out to me, which was very interesting, was one, I'm surprised that I never got into Lost before, because something that it has and has carried on which was very evident to me over the last few weeks, is the effect it has had on my almost need to binge watch. So I am, in general, a sucker for good storytelling, character development, interesting storylines that you kind of see coming, but also not really, or maybe not the reason why. Strong, diverse characters, in the sense that there's many that you want to or could root for. And you don't necessarily all have to root for one main character. So, I mean, Lost really fit that criteria. And we have been watching usually about once a week. Sometimes we are able to squeeze in two a week where we watch. And usually at the most, we watch four episodes if we can get them in. And I've decided that that is the max that I want to watch in one sitting because it allows me to finally sit with the show. I mean, I love to binge watch just as much as the next person, but something that this show really did for me was to resettle the the interest in sitting with a show. And the fact that shows air once a week, okay, that's a little bit, you know, I couldn't imagine having to watch Lost week by week, one episode every time. But even this kind of forces me to slow down and really absorb the storylines, really absorb what has happened, big shifts and changes and all these crazy things, and to just let it be a little bit instead of racing through it just to quench that I need to know what happens next, which believe me, is very strong. Robin knows all about it. Uh, I, like I said, on a weekly basis, sit in her basement and yell at her television which I'm sure hopefully she enjoys. But, uh, I mean, she hasn't kicked me out yet. But, yeah, I just have really restarted to appreciate kind of taking those breaks within a few episodes and not constantly just watching it just to know the answers, just to get through something, to maybe even move on to something else, but just sitting with the show, letting the storylines and the plots really absorb and and 
kind of do what shows are meant to do, which is long-term storytelling and being a part of that, really feeling like you're along with these characters and you're there with their journey. You really kind of let yourself feel their emotions and be part of the storyline, which honestly is just so much more exciting for the viewer, in my opinion. And so I've really appreciated almost having to be forced to, like I said, slow down and not just binge through these episodes just to know what's happening, just to know all these other things and to just have watched it, but nicely sit with it and just enjoy. And, you know, throughout the week, I'll I'll send Robin a text being like, man, I can't wait to watch next, or this has really been bothering me, or this is what's on my mind. But so we can kind of talk about it and just live in it and really absorb the show. And I honestly credit Lost to kind of bringing me back to that and really appreciating just watching and being with a show instead of just pushing through it. So have really been enjoying that. I cannot wait to eventually, at our leisurely absorbing pace, catch up with the podcast so that I can actually be able to listen to them without having spoilers and knowing what's going on. But uh, yeah, I would love to know what you guys think about this. And also, is there any other shows that maybe you have really felt almost regret that you've binged through and wish that you could have taken more time and really absorb and really enjoy? And or is there any shows that that you think do this for you, that you really thought all of a sudden, you know what, I'm going to watch this show at a slower pace because I want to sit with the storyline. Would love to know. Love the pod and thank you very much. All right, so now it's time for segments. Our first segment is our favorite line award. Uh, my favorite line award goes to Ben and Locke for... Couldn't find the Anthuriums, could you? I don't know what they look like. <laughs> I just love it. It's so good. And I had to give an honorable mention to... Lie to them, Jack. If you do it half as well as you lie to yourself, they'll believe you. Ugh. Ugh. Cut. Cut. Cut deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. And my favorite line award goes to, I guess, Hallowax and Locke? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just Hallowax with Locke's expression for... Yeah. <laughs> now, for your own safety and the safety of those around you, metallic objects must never be placed within the vault. And what does Ben do but place metallic objects within the vault? Right. <laughs> Incredible reaction. It's so good. It's so good. Very um, memeable gif. <laughs> totally. Uh, and my favorite line award from the very same scene goes to Ben and Locke for... Is he talking about what I think he was talking about? If you mean time-traveling bunnies, then yes. <laughs> yes. Locke's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay, sure. A lot of great lines this episode. Totally. Mm. Huge, huge opportunities for lots of good ones. The selection was very good. Uh, Now it's time for Casey's Random Award of the Episode! Yay! So, I am taking a page from one of Aficionado's co-host Sam's segments. (laughs) What is Casey shipping the most this episode? Mm. I'm gonna let you guess. Is it Skate? It's Skate. (laughs) I'm shipping Skate the most this episode. Thank you. And I'm not sorry about it, okay? Don't be sorry, Casey. I'm sorry to Maria and Maria only. Everyone else, okay, fight me. <laughs> and now it's time for Man of Science, Man of Faith. We only had uh, 
three uh, characters in the flashes this episode. So um, Jack is a man of science. Um, I don't think we even need to debate that. Is there any man of faith Jack that we can find? Actually, never mind. I'm answering my own question because in the flashes, he is has already like transitioned to man of faith. Jack. Yeah, in the flashes, I would say he is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about Kate? What do you guys think? Man of science, man of faith. It, it, specific to the flashes or on the island? Um, both. I I think she's she's almost exclusively in this episode and just sort of generally from how I picture her on the man of faith side. She's, she's, she's reliably, I feel like in Jack's corner when in those sort of like bigger existential decisions. And she certainly in the flashes, she was like, why would I go back there? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And then what about Hurley? Faith. Faith. Oh yeah. I see that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I think (laughs) so. Yeah. All right. Did they do the thing? The thing is when they say the name of the episode in the episode, they did not say the thing, but as we said last episode, I really think they should have ended the episode with there's no place like home. Like <laughs> they get somewhere and they go, there's no Or even just like having somebody click their heels a little bit, like then we'd know. Right. Yeah. That would be cute. How likable is Jack this episode out of ten? Hmm. Ugh, four. He's rough in the flashes. Mm, three. Yeah. I always start at five. I think I'm definitely going down. It's just depending on how far down I'm going. <sighs> Yeah, I would I would give a hard three to like drunk beardy shouting at Kate uh, domestic mm-hmm. drama and and I would I would kick it up to maybe a five only because like his scene like uh, f- for the island portion of it only because it does yeah. feel like he is it, he is solely focused on protecting everybody else in a way where it's like that is mm-hmm. the best version of Jack is like the Jack who's trying to keep everybody else alive mm-hmm. and it's like easier to root mm-hmm. for him when he's like I just want to get Sawyer and Hurley back to the helicopter and you're like you know what fair so do I mm-hmm. 3.5 right exactly 3.5 I think I'm gonna go 4 um, and that's because like I can't say that I like like him very much but he is so deeply watchable this episode Mm -hmm. i i love watching the stick in the mud of jack like go up against Locke yeah. in these sor- sorts of scenes. So like I I love Jack this episode because he's just like so fun to watch with mm-hmm. Locke. Yeah. I love him on the island. I simply cannot give him any points for <laughs> flashback Jack. So yeah. 3.5 points for Island Jack. Perfect. Asexual Faraday question mark question mark question mark. Yeah. He's yep. super ace. Um he just he has a little crush on Charlotte in like the most innocent sweet way and he just wants her to be happy and safe. And um it's the best. I love my little ace guy yeah um how many episodes since the last knockout we're gonna say that kimi got knocked out there and so um it is once again zero we did not even make it past one (laughs) womp womp (laughs) womp womp does this episode pass the bechdel test no i do not think so Mm -mm. what are women do we even see two women together Um, sun's the only woman on the freighter and kate's the only woman on the island that we see that i can remember and well and then julia and charlotte and rose are both like around each other but don't talk to each other and then but they're all sort of triangulated around faraday and miles Exactly. And then Walt's mom is in a, or oh. sorry, Walt's grandma is in a scene with, with Hurley. Walt and Hurley. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so no. definitely not. Yeah. Alas. Stay tuned for a segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. And thank you to the creators and community at Lostpedia. Without them, we would be lost. It's true. Our spoiler song was composed and produced by Francis Neves. And thank you so much to whoever cooperated in the same space as us during this podcast. Thanks to my dog. He growled once, but I'll allow it. 
I'm not going to be mad. No thanks to my puppy. He was barking a lot, <laughs> and I tried to mute myself when I could. But he, he was a barky boy. He's a little barky guy. But he's a puppy, so. Yeah, that's okay. If you're so inclined, please write us a review wherever you're listening or recommend us to a friend. Uh, if you're a fan of The 100, we like to talk about that show too. Um, we did seasons four to seven as they were airing, and now we're going back to do the good old days. We did season three, and now we're in the midst of season two. We're making our way down to finish the whole podcast with the first episode of The 100, the pilot. So um, go join us over there if you like. Uh, if you're a fan of Riverdale, we'd like to talk about that show too. We did it. It's over. It's finished. We have a very large package of Riverdale content for you. We have an episode of the podcast for every single episode of Riverdale. You don't have to watch Riverdale to listen to it. There you go. And if you're a fan of Stranger Things, we'd like to talk about that show too. We did the first three seasons and we're in the midst of covering season four before season five comes out. Yeah. Yay. You can follow at The Affectionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, mostly Twitter, but Robin does make gifts of our favorite lawn wards on Tumblr and she also makes cute TikToks. So go check that out. Thanks. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash theafficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating. Um, it's expensive with our money and it's expensive with our time. So we'd really, really appreciate your help over there. If not, check out our small businesses. They're all in the description or just recommend us to a friend um, because that's free and it still really helps. Thank you. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at Casey Watches TV, which is C-A-S-E-Y-W-A-T-C-H-E-S-T-V. Yes. Yes. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, This was so much fun. You can follow me on, yeah, on Twitter sometimes, and I'm more often on Blue Sky, and it's Claire Willett, C-L-A-I-R-E-W-I-L-L-E-T-T, all over the internet. Yay. Yay. Perfect. Thanks for having me, friends. Yeah, thank you for coming. I appreciate it so much, and I'm sorry I made you watch more episodes. <laughs> than no, I will be even more prepared when we finally get to season six. I'll be so ready. Perfect. <laughs> So next episode is the final episode of season four. It's episode 414. There's no place like home part three. And we're going to be having the incomparable Joe Garfine on, um, which will be super lots of fun. Okay. Love you. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. As for points from Lostpedia regarding spoilers, for the only time in season four, all current cast members appear in the episode. This would be the last season finale where all cast members credited appear in the episode. Uh, Miles and Charlotte appear only in the first half of the episode, so they're actually not in the second half. And in the Lost on Location segment on the season four DVD, they were shown shooting scenes for the second part, but their footage was cut. Faraday doesn't have any lines in the second half, but he is seen, and Claire only appears briefly in the second half of the episode in Kate's Dream. Um, So everybody appears in the episode in, like, parts two and three, but not technically in just this part, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm. Okay, let's see if I have any spoilers for the flashes. I do. Locke is Jeremy Bentham. Uh, So now can we discuss... He's the one in the coffin. ...that the two dummy coffin shoots that they did, which Mm -hmm. I also learned today because I was on Lostpedia... Oh, my God. ...were Desmond and Mm -hmm. Sawyer, and I'd never seen those pictures before. The pictures are wild. And it makes so much sense because they're the three that, like, you would believe would have some 
justification or are smart enough to have figured out some other way back to the island. Well, and, and Desmond was on the boat mm-hmm. too. So like, yeah, you know that right. he makes it back to earth, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, but I, I loved I mean, it's, it's smart just as a way to like prevent, you know, leaks from, from getting out. But then it does sort of make you mm-hmm. wonder, like, like we were talking about before, um, Robin, that um, there's multiple characters, of course, that are named after philosophers. Yeah. Hume is also a philosopher. So it's sort of like, mm-hmm. even if you were attuned enough to who Jeremy Bentham was to know, oh, okay, it's a philosopher, it doesn't necessarily lead you straight to John Locke because it also could plausibly mm-hmm. have been Desmond. Right. Which I liked. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing that hurts is like now that we can talk about the fact that Locke, by the time that Jack eventually gets around to believing him, mm-hmm. Locke is already dead and never learns Ugh. that he was right and that Yikes. that Jack like agreed with him. So devastating. Ugh. So the yeah. the um this will come up in several different areas, but so the the episode that I accidentally watched, which was the middle third mm-hmm. of the season six finale, was all of yeah. the stuff around like, and I watched a couple sort of leading into it, so I sort of revisited all of the stuff around like you know the man in black wearing Locke's mm-hmm. body and and talking mm-hmm. to everybody about like the real Locke when he died and he was so confused and he didn't understand why and and all this mm-hmm. like the sort of pathos oh. of that which is just like excruciating but but that it really does make you like I was so sort of hyper aware of how tragic the real Locke's end is. Like, like what a, mm-hmm. what a sort oh. of sad fizzle out of a story. Like, that he, that he has, he has all these sort of like grand, you know, am, ambitions and, and all this like deep faith. And he's sort of pursuing this kind of like mystical enlightenment, like in communion with the island. And, and that like, yeah, like he's like that he, that what we know now is that he doesn't like he doesn't get to have that connection that he wanted to with Jack, like where where they're sort of co-partners in this like journey quest. He doesn't get to live to see Jack realize that he was right and that Jack too really was called to be like when he's saying like you know it's an island it doesn't need protecting. And it's like, well, you're mm-hmm. you're gonna be its protector. Like you are when you come back, you mm-hmm. are gonna be the person who is saying what Locke oh, would so say, true. taking on the role of the person who and he volunteers, like all the rest of them, you know, everyone sort mm-hmm. of gets drafted when they like find their names on the dial and whatever. But like Jack is the one who mm-hmm. steps up and says, like, if somebody's gotta do it, I'll do it. And so so hearing him in this one, when I finally watched the correct episode sort of disclaiming the whole notion that the island mm-hmm. is worthy of protection. I was like, oh, baby child, <laughs> you do not know. <laughs> you do not know mm-hmm. what is in store for you. So that just, but yeah, it just made the yeah. Locke's fate feel even more. And, you know, and that like, that like nobody goes to the funeral, that they're all like, the, mm-hmm. that he, oh. like that, that what we know about Jeremy Bentham is that he's like going around knocking on their doors and like, nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to believe it. Like, it's just, yeah it's it's sad. well and like kate being like why would i even go to that i'm yeah, like what it's because he was like your friend he's he's so he's such a complex character because like on the one hand the way it ends with him between everybody else 
ends very badly and and you can like like the, their perception of like you're part of the reason that we had to work so hard and jump through all these extra hoops to get ourselves home to safety like to get the few of us that survived off this island like you were an obstacle in that and so you can understand like where that sense of frustration comes from but then also like for us the viewers who lived for so long with this group of people in these extreme circumstances like expect you know like the connections that they formed in the time that they spent together and also what we know of like the end and that like that you know that the the whole meta arc of the show is that all of these people were the most important people in each other's lives. You know, mm -hmm. it does make it really heartbreaking that like that in a moment where Locke, the most needed compassion and connection and trust and for somebody to believe him, that none of them did. Like, it's just, it's just so, it's just deeply tragic. Like there's just something, something yeah. in Locke, no matter how big of an asshole he is or how much damage he causes, like he always sort of awakens that empathy in me, I find. And that's what made the flash sideways so satisfying for me is that like Locke's end was so sad. And so like we're watching season six yeah. and Terry is there playing this sinister man. And like the difference is so palpable, especially when in the same episodes, sometimes we're getting actual for real lock back yeah. being played by Terry in these flash sideways. And then when those two, like the, the lock that died in season five mm -hmm. and the lock that's been living in this flash sideways come together and get their memories back. It's like, we got lock back in all like in general. And like, he learns everything and he eventually does learn yeah. that Jack changed his mind and he, and they hug and he really in and shake hands in that flash sideways. Like, where, like Jack heals him. And that like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Like that was something that I was like, the notes that I took that I then threw away because they weren't relevant to the episode that we were talking about. But like, <laughs> but one of the things that I was clocking as I was going through the episode, I thought we were discussing was flagging like the, who wakes up, who sort of who is positioned as yes. the person of significance in that person's life. And it actually felt mm -hmm. very right that Locke's connection with Jack awakens Locke, but like Jack's not mm -hmm. there yet. Like Jack needs it to come from, yeah. from Kate. It sort of rolls out sort of bit by bit for him, but like, mm -hmm. you know, like Jack healing him and, you know, and, and in a sort of miraculous way after Jack has told him, like, I don't believe in miracles, you know? And then like, and then he performs mm -hmm. one that he like gives him back the ability to walk and, and that his life in that, in that flash sideways, you know, that he's, that he's loved, that he has friendship, that he has like a lighter spirit, like that there's so many of the things we saw him searching for, he finds them more easily in that version of himself that it sort of feels like, okay, this is, this is who you could have become if your life had gone somewhat differently. And for a lot of the other characters, their flash sideways life is is darker or worse or is like missing some really mm -hmm. significant piece to it. And then with Locke, you're mm -hmm. like, no, actually, like, I feel like there are pieces of this that are closer to what we wanted for you. Yeah, for sure. And it's like one of my favorites um, lines in all of the whole finale is the part where, you know, Jack and MIB sort of start have to work together. Um, and, you know, MIB like makes some sort of passing comment about like, hey, Jack, remember when we did this together? And Jack is like, 
No, because you're not Locke. Mm-hmm. You, I think he said something like, you disrespect his memory by wearing his face, but you are nothing like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like the fact that he gets to say that to Locke's face, but he's not really saying it to Locke, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, oh, man, yeah. I love that moment where Jack, like, realizes, actually, he was right about everything. Yeah. And I was the asshole, you know? Oh. And, and he, like, Locke doesn't get to hear it. I love the finale. But it's important that Jack says it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And then so like moving back into the other one is that like, you know, Walt even says Jeremy Bentham came to mm-hmm. see me and he knows to call him Jeremy Bentham, interestingly. And, you know, nobody else came to me, but he did. And like looking back, knowing who Jeremy Bentham is, you're like, of course he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course yeah. he did. And, you know, the the like truth that Hurley is sort of like, waffling with trying to tell law or tell walt in that moment is if he tells him that michael is dead right because michael dies next episode you know like for real so yeah and and which which Locke wouldn't have known so that Mm -hmm. so Locke wouldn't have been able to disclose that yeah yeah man Locke feels i know oh as usual just taking a look to see if I have anything for the freighter slash beach storyline. Oh, I had a couple. Go ahead. Oh, um, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one thing that I, um, that I thought was really lovely that, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's, it's a spoiler for the next episode, but then also really for the following mm-hmm. season was I, I love that just the nice little parallel of both Juliet and Sawyer who have the intention to leave the island end up not mm-hmm. being able to leave because they both choose to put everybody else's safety before their own. And, right. and it feels like it's such a, it's just an organic way to kind of like, you know, lightly foreshadow a little bit of like how significant their relationship becomes between them. And like you talked about before, mm-hmm. like Sawyer already having changed so much, you know, like, like that yeah. when he jumps out of the helicopter, he's consciously saying like, I'm putting myself at risk and sort of like hoping I'll make it back. Okay. To, to better your chances, like everybody here's chances of survival. And mm-hmm. Juliet very much doing the same thing of like making sure everybody else is loaded into that raft before she even thinks about getting in herself. And so that parallel between the two mm-hmm. of them, you know, sort of, and then they both end up like screwed a little bit, but also mm-hmm. like it's a nice way to kind of foreshadow similarity between them, which I liked a lot. Right. Yeah, for sure. As for another one that I had, um, you know, Dan is doing all of these things, you know, helping everybody maybe to the detriment of something that Widmore would have wanted. Um, And so, like, I love the idea that Faraday is, like, sort of trying to make up for the trash that his dad is doing, Mm -hmm. even though I don't think he knows that he's necessarily Charles Widmore's dad. I don't think he knows that. Or that he's Charles Widmore's son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that he's sort of, like, like, trying to clean up the messes anyway. Yeah. I yeah. had two Keeney things too that, that were odd little sure. parallels between this and then the episodes that I watched. So so mm-hmm. one of the ones that I watched in season six is the one where the scene where and I and I now have forgotten how, how it plays out, but like where Ben and Widmore and Widmore's sidekick lady in Ben's secret closet. Yeah. And Ben shoots I can't remember if it's the woman or he shoots somebody else who's like about to go warn Penny of something. And, and his reasoning is he's basically says like, he doesn't get to save his daughter. Like I'm, I'm removing Widmore's out to protect Penny from the sort of murderous, you know, fallout of this as a way to remind Widmore that his guy 
killed my daughter. And it's sort of like a, you know, kind of full mm-hmm. circle really with feeling like, you know, him killing, him killing Kimi for killing Alex. And then also that like, as far down the road as season six, like he's still letting like Alex's death is in the driver's seat when he makes his decisions. Right. And then the other one that I thought, speaking of Kimi too, that was a nice little tie-in between this and and the the very end of this episode where we're sort of, you know, we know the the bomb going off. It was like twice that Kimi has been responsible for Jin almost dying. So in this one, it's because right. his death, like the his his you know heart monitor thing and the kill switch causes mm-hmm. you know it's ultimately what will cause in the next episode the the explosion that happens that is how we're left thinking like Jin maybe question mark died and then in the flash sideways yeah. and they took me because I was just like who is this guy because I'd forgotten who Kimi was. <laughs> But that yeah. he's the one that, like, Jin is hiding from in the freezer. Yeah. And, like, he's the head of the, like, mob of hitmen who, and he, and, and Jin doesn't get killed, but he almost gets killed. And so it was sort of like, like oh, mm-hmm. there's, like, two little moments, like, one here and one there, where something that Kimi does, or, like, some, like, his sort of evil plan almost sweeps Jin up in it. And then in the last moment, doesn't. Man, I love Flash Sideways Kimi. He's horrible, but he's so funny. He's he's very watchable for a bad guy. I mean, they're great at casting bad guys on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Can't take your yeah. eyes off him. Yeah, it's so true. Miles somehow knows that Charlotte was born here, that she's been here before. Like, I, like we learn in season five that Miles also lived here. You know, he was a baby, but he mm-hmm. left when he was a baby. So I don't know how he would have known that Charlotte was like five years old when she left and she was looking for this place. Unless he talked to a dead person, but I don't think we ever get information on how he knew that yeah i was wondering about that because i yeah my 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 assumption with miles is always like in any situation where he has unexplained knowledge that some dead person told him but i also do wonder if if it's as simple as was that a casualty of the writer's strike that at some point they had intended to Mm. give us a either more in depth about her background earlier on or or to somehow yeah. flesh that out in like extra stuff they didn't get to in this season where we would find out how he knew or how that information came to him or some or some implicit tie that we the audience could put together between his past and her past and then they just were sort of mm-hmm. like well it's not important enough to like add it in now when they had to kind of like triage to cut stuff down right. but yeah i was i was wondering about that too i was like this feels important yeah. but i don't know where it's going it is funny like i do like it that miles is like oh i'm just kooky i don't know mm-hmm. you know like it's cute of him but i'm just like but usually this show is a little more careful with that stuff where they have actual answers for like stuff yeah. that happens like that and i just yeah. don't think we got that it was also i was so happy yeah. just to see him again because of course in you know in season six like when they when that helicopter finally you know takes off and it's or, or the plane and it's like lapidus yeah. and and miles and richard yeah and 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 then miles yeah. is there too and it was like just thinking about like you know who like like Lapidus and his sort of like last minute flyaways and like the motley crew of people that he always like has in escaping. Yep. It was like oh I was, I was like oh Miles like good for you like I forgot who you were but you're really fun and I'm glad that you like made it to the end game. Yeah, I do love that that it's sort of just like okay who are all our characters that are still alive at the end of the finale and yeah. they're like okay these main characters are doing this these main characters are doing this okay Lapidus 
Lapidus has to be with the plane. What other characters do we have left? Okay, Miles and Richard, just go with Lapidus, yeah. I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. but I love it. It's great. It's a great moment. On Lostpedia, it was mentioning about Omar. Um, Omar is the first character to be killed in both timelines. So he dies in the Flash sideways as well. He yes. was also accidentally killed by his own friends in both timelines. Yes. In the original timeline, Kimi killed him unintentionally by kicking the grenade to Omar. In the Flash sideways timeline, he was shot by one of Kimi's henchmen when the henchman was aiming for Saeed. That's right. So. That was in the mm. same, in the scene where Jin, where he finds Jin in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It also, oh, Claire, you already covered this. It says, Jack told Locke it's an island, John. No one needs to protect it. <laughs> and of course he returns and Jack becomes the protector of the island, which is mm-hmm. I like very that. funny. I love that. Oh, yeah, this is kind of a small one, but like, so we see that the guy, um, so Pierre Chang uh, goes by these three different candled named candle-themed names at some point during these orientation videos. And in this one, he's Edgar Hallowax. So we saw Ben wearing that, like, puffy jacket that said Hallowax on it. But he's not wearing that, like, big puffy, like, winter jacket in the video. So, like, ultimately, I'm just like, why would Pierre Chang have an incorrectly labeled coat? Like, I get the lab coat is incorrectly labeled because he's like, haha, I'm changing my name. But, like, if you're not going to wear it in the video that you're, like, changing your name in, why would he have a labeled coat with that name? Good question. Unclear. I don't know. I don't think there's an answer for it. I'm just pointing it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, Locke is watching the orientation film and it starts, like, weirdly rewinding. I have to assume that Jacob just didn't want him to see the rest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think or something like there's just like the island was like you're done you don't need any more or something <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> or just a way to sort of remind us like you are sitting on top of a crap ton of electromagnetic activity and right. VHS tapes are like like film tapes all that stuff is significantly effective. I mean, that's why they used to tell you like you couldn't take VHS tapes or or like camera film through airport security because the scanner would like f mm-hmm. it up so. I sort of mm. assumed, like, is it just sort of a reminder of, like, you know, that they're, like, sitting on top of, like, a giant magnet and that, like, it's making everything, like, operate funky. Right, right. And, like, you know, writing-wise, you're just like, hey, you don't need any more information. Mm. I also don't want to show you how I time-traveled this bunny or whatever, yeah, you know? Exactly. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> so the thing that Sawyer asks Kate to do is to, like, take care of his daughter, basically. And she, mm, like, does that mm. in the Something Nice Back Home flashes. You know, she's talking on the phone to Cassidy, and she, like, goes to see Cassidy all the time, uh, who is the mother of Sawyer's um, daughter. Mm. So it's said on Lostpedia, the inaudible whisper that Sawyer tells Kate appears to be, I have a daughter in Alabama. You need to find her. Tell her I'm sorry. However, since Sawyer's daughter Clementine was living in Albuquerque, it would be safe to assume that that's what he actually said and not Alabama as it seems to be on there. Um, In the French television dub, Sawyer says to Kate is translated to, my daughter doesn't know who her father was. I want you to tell her. Oh, okay. So yeah, who knows who's to say. Um, That does bring to mind like the one other kind of like, spoilery slash thematic just thing that I my brain bumped on a little which I mentioned again briefly and yeah more plot relevant obviously to the wrong episode that I watched but it did loop (laughs) ping me again here which is just like not that it's like a bad thing I just I just point out to point it out how often the significant relationships between two women on this show are triangulated around a baby. So like like Claire and Kate, mm-hmm. the like 
their bond is so you know because like like that she's like that that's who wakes like Kate is who wakes Claire up yeah you know and and that moment mm-hmm. of connection when she goes into labor at the concert it's like which is was so beautiful and you know mm-hmm. and like I was I was absolutely sobbing because then it's like flashing back to like when she gave birth to Aaron before like that you know that mm-hmm. I, oh. um so it's like so it's really powerful and i'm not saying that like inherently in any way it's bad but then also juliet is who wakes sun up and then and then through mm-hmm. her gin and that's also through a like childbirth like it's when she comes in for her like you know her pregnancy exam and then sun remembers juliet mm-hmm. like you know being her OBGYN before like back on the island and and so yeah. so it was like you have these really powerful moments and and again and like they're so rare to have like two female characters in like an emotionally significant moment with each other because so often they're all kind of positioned with a man or a group of men and the part of me was mm-hmm. just like okay but how do i feel about the fact that it's always about motherhood and i was trying to figure out mm-hmm. if at any point there were significant female female storylines in between like main women like a plot a, a slice of plot that extended for a long period that wasn't about a baby and i couldn't think of any mm-hmm. i'm even trying to think of some. yeah no so that was just like a thing i noticed it's like even kate and cassidy are about clementine and Aaron. yeah or about G or about a uh, son's pregnancy, Kate and son. right, right, yeah. That like that the characters who and and that and that the way that Kate becomes such a sort of core, profound anchor person in Claire's life in very complicated ways is because she then sort of becomes Aaron's mother. Yeah, I'm trying to think because like I don't think Shannon even had any female friendships that were. Imp- Important enough. She barely interacted with anybody except for Said and Boone, really. And then I think of somebody like Ana Lucia, who even also had like a whole baby thing because she had a miscarriage because she was shot. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember her but having like, any yeah. meaningful, like like a storyline, like beyond just like a scene or an exchange, yeah. but like a storyline with somebody other than like the way, for example, the other Taylor, Jack and Locke have storylines. Jack right. and Sawyer, like where the men, like yeah. like Desmond and Saeed on the freighter, like these like interesting, charismatic yes. men whose lives have many many dimensions, and that when two women are put together that it feels like it's always about a baby. Okay, I don't think this is helpful because this is literally the only one I can think of. So it's not like we're like, so everything's solved now that I thought of one. But like, okay, so in Left Behind, Kate and Juliet, like Juliet handcuffs herself to Kate and they're like in the episode together and it's not about a baby, but that's all I can oh, think okay. of. Okay. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I mean, I really I really like them. And I, I was trying to remember, because mm-hmm. again, in the flash sideways, like Juliet's the ex-wife and- Yeah, she's in like one episode and that's it. Yeah, and and then and then of right. course then she's awakened by Sawyer and like the vending machine scene, which is also great. It makes me cry. Yeah. So, like it's not. It's one of those things where again, like mm-hmm. the Bechdel test, like it doesn't. It isn't bad, and they're really beautiful, yeah. powerful, rich, deep scenes. And motherhood mm-hmm. is an important part of who these women are. And also, I just sort of couldn't not notice that it was like I don't see any like like that the women's friendships just on their own don't seem to be enough for these male writers. Like, like Claire yeah. and Kate can't just be important to each other because they're deeply important to each other. Like what, what triggers right. Claire to wake up and remember is 
oh, Kate was here when I gave birth before. And maybe that's sort of a like a male writer shorthand for like the most intimate way a woman can be present to another woman. Like, again, it's not it's not bad. Like those things are true. Like that is like a, mm-hmm. a, a depth of connection to be present with somebody when she's in labor. Like I get it. But it was just a, so I just I thought I would mention it just for like you guys to think about as you keep going yeah. just to flag like maybe I missed something huge but like mm-hmm. as those things come up like a sort of secondary version of the Bechtel test of like if they're not mm-hmm. talking about a man like is the whole thing about a baby because I just couldn't I couldn't think of any that were like oh this is like yeah. given the same degree of like mythic significance as like Jacob versus the man in black you know luck versus right. or like mm-hmm. you know like like all of these other sort of things that the men get to do with other men and then when two women are together they're always like babysitting yeah <laughs> Exactly. Right. No, that's such a good point because like all of these dudes are like daddy issues, daddy issues. Right. And then it's like, where are the moms? Like, and where mm-hmm. are the like the girls' moms then? Right. Right. So, like, Kate has this whole thing with her mom, but like it's all surrounding Wayne. You know, it's all about Wayne, really. Well, and yeah, it's like like everybody has like the the men are framed in terms of their own dads who are absent. Mm-hmm. And the women are framed around motherhood as mothers. So, so like they don't they don't get to have the same sort of depth and complexity necessarily with like generationally with their own moms. They're seen as moms of children. In, in I mean, like, and not to say right, like right, right, we do like we meet Kate's mom, we meet Son's mom. Like they're not they're not like non presences, but the yeah. men and their actually the women their fathers too because Charles Widmore like the father figures right. And son's dad. Yeah, like the father figures drive a lot of the plot and everybody has yeah. sort of complicated father issues. And whereas like the, the it's, it's, so it's sort of, it's, it's like not quite so simplistic as like father's bad, mother's good, but like a little, like not, right. not that. <laughs> <laughs> you know right i'm so, with you yeah anyway i just noticed it and i thought it was worth yeah. remarking <laughs> thanks to that one episode of anna lucia where she had mommy issues and we never <laughs> met her dad oh, that's right yeah shout out to her yeah all right you guys uh last thoughts before we before we end it here um... i just love hurley that's my last thought <laughs> i think he's great i love skate Great. I had such a great time talking to you guys today. Thanks for having me. Claire, you're so smart. I love you guys. I love talking to you guys. And as so- uh, three years from now, when you have me back to talk about season six, I'm going to be so ready. <laughs> so ready. <laughs> Don't throw away those notes. I will not. Keep them in a drawer. <laughs> okay. All right. So thanks so much to Claire for joining us again. Yay. Yay. Love you guys. You can find all of our social medias in the description. Um, our Patreon, like I said earlier, patreon.com slash autos. We really appreciate you guys listening and um, looking forward to finishing up season four very soon. Woohoo. Okay. Love you. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. May, may I eat these peanuts?